Howdy, y'all. This episode of South of Scruffy Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Cosmetic. Cosmetic is an industry leader in CBD-infused skincare products. Go to their website, Cosmedicated.com, and check out their CBD-infused hemp pain cream. That stuff eases aches, pains, and inflammation in muscles and joints via their proprietary CBD solution. Be kind to your skin and go to Cosmedicated.com. That's C-A-U-S-E, Medicated.com, and use promo code SOS20. That's SOS20. Use it at checkout to get 20% off of your entire order. All right. Let's podcast. Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. My name is Ben Fields. This is my podcast. You made it. I've got one of my dearest friends on the show today. Ben Hubbard is here. Colonel Ben Hubbard, to be exact. Aside from being a brilliant marketing mind that is uh, behind some very cutting edge and disruptive marketing campaigns that are out there, uh, Ben also carries the distinction of being a Kentucky Colonel. Got to bring that up. And that's just the start of the story. Uh, the, there is a, a story in our chat where we uh, get off and I talk about uh, a, a knife that Ben had given to me a few years back. And uh, Ben's father uh, uh, passed away in 2003 and he had handcrafted a knife out of a wood file and uh, a deer antler. The wood file was the blade. The deer antler was the handle. And uh, Ben inherited that when his father passed away. And uh, Ben gave me that knife as a gift back in uh, 2017 as a way to say thanks for helping him out with a a career move that he uh, was taking at the time. So uh, that's what the knife talk is all about in the episode uh, when you hear us talking about the knife. That's the kind of guy Ben is, though, man. A, A dude that will give you the shirt off his back or give you a relic that is sentimental to him just to show his appreciation. That's who you're dealing with here. So let's do it. You want to get into it? Here we go. Here's me and my man, Ben Hubbard. We're doing the podcast. Chords on the left. Fancy, fancy. Look at these. Fancy. Try these with your own money. Uh, the dude, the podcast has, uh, whoa, the podcast is, uh, carrying its own bucket of rocks these days. It's good. It pays for itself. That's crazy. I know. It's nice for once. <laughs> Something paying for itself. Yeah. Imagine us starting a business that would pay for itself. <laughs> we tried. <laughs> horrible failures. So uh, we, you know, we. No, we weren't horrible failures. I don't, I, think, I don't, I don't think we were failures. I think we did a good job. I think so too. I think we produced respectable things back then. We just did it with a much more um, pronounced flair in our lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, I think so. We, we didn't have to be as buttoned up. No, I don't think we had to be buttoned up at all back then. <laughs> we certainly weren't. <laughs> I don't think I wore shoes from 2011 until like 2017. <laughs> that was the. The sole proprietorship days, yeah, <laughs> or partnership, yeah, partnership, yeah, yeah. with with uh, old Ben Ben Adams. But uh, I remember we did. You remember the first phonography thing we did? Down yeah, there yeah. The, it was a wood wood print. Yeah, yeah. wood print uh, of people's cell phone. Yeah, exactly. Photos, and then you photos that you sold at. Uh, like a first Friday or something. Yeah, like that? it was a first Friday thing, and I forget the organization we benefited back then, like Tribe One or something like that was the name of it. I want to say. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, Jenny Andrews got yeah. all that set up, and uh, it was kind of her brainchild. And there were a lot of nights of like sitting around with her and a, an assortment of uh, other old 
names, you know, making those things. But, um, you know, it was a big event. A lot of people down there, you know, running around in our little underground uh, hideout. And I didn't have shoes on the entire evening. And <laughs> I don't, uh, you know, I don't recall how many people I saw down there that night. But uh, everyone was like, Ben, what's the deal? I'm like, well, it's just hot, you know. <laughs> It's hot out here. I'm just being myself. Well, you, you, you weren't even, you know, a Knoxvillian yet at that Mm-mm. time, really. And it's amazing. Like Ben Hubbard to me. Yeah. Like you're a, you're a, a brilliant marketing mind and you've come up with some of the best ideas and some of the coolest stuff since I've known you. And, um, it's funny that you, uh, that you're an import, a, a Kentuckian. Well, an Eastern Kentuckian at that, sir. Yeah, yeah. A Kentucky I, Colonel. I am indeed a Kentucky Colonel. Yes, I, I didn't am. know that was a designation. It is a des- designation. What's I'm, it mean? Um, so, I don't really remember all the history of it. Um, the most famous, of course, is Colonel Sanders mm-hmm. um, of Kentucky Fried Chicken fame. Sure, I'm familiar. <clears throat> yeah, I'm sure you are. Yeah. Uh, faced it. Uh, so uh, anyway, it's a designation. It's like a, an honor from from the governor himself to say you've done something commendable and for the Commonwealth, for the Commonwealth of Kentucky, you have made the Commonwealth proud, my yeah. son or daughter. And yeah. here you go. Here's this certificate with your name on it and my signature. Oh, there you go. Yes, yes. And so it was uh, a friend of my dad's uh, that was at the time a state representative out of Eastern Kentucky. Um, And this was in, I guess, 2010 when I got that. And I went over to Thailand with Ben Adams and, uh, you know, we helped a missions group there with this kind of communications things they needed. You know, we took pictures and wrote words and made websites and stuff, you know, all the things we do. And, um, so anyway, <clears throat> rather than give me any money to go to Thailand so I could eat better or maybe stay in a place that didn't have blood on the walls, um, <laughs> he gave me a Kentucky colonel designation. And it was funny because – Your dad did that? No, no. My dad had Your passed dad's away. buddy? Yeah, my dad's buddy okay. had, had done it. And uh, his name was Fitz Steele. And nice, nice guy. Fitz yeah. was always a good guy. And uh, anyway, so he um, – you know, the thing just shows up in the mail one day and like – I don't know, February, March of 2010, you know, after I'd gone over there. And I remember it was a Friday and Lorena and I were going to go out uh, with the kids and grab a bite to eat or whatever. And, uh, you know, we get this package and it's from, you know, the office of the governor of the state of Kentucky. And it's like, whoa, hmm, what did I do to this guy? <laughs> Looks like I've made some big enemies. And, uh, and so we opened up and it's, uh, you know, the, the certificate and all this stuff. And there's this note from Fitz in there that says, um, and I'm loosely paraphrasing it here, but it was something to the tune of, you know, I would have thought that your dad taught you better than going to places like that. But, well, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. And that was it. That's the whole letter. He didn't approve of you going to Thailand? Apparently he didn't. He didn't really? tell me anything about it. I mean, my dad wasn't around, but, you know, Fitz apparently yeah. thought it was a scary place to be. But it was right before, um, you know, not um, a coup or a revolution, but they had some political upheaval there. Yeah. Maybe about... I don't know, a month or two after yeah. I was there. And so it actually, and, and it, a lot of it went down in the neighborhoods that we were staying in in Bangkok, yeah. like some violence and stuff. And so it would have been unfortunate to have been there then. But uh, at the same time, you know, nothing happened to us. It's 2010, you said. 2010, early January 2010. Okay. Is that right around when you started your, your company, The Village? Yeah. Or before or after? Well, we were we were going to do it. We knew we were going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, we hadn't made anything official at that point. Gotcha. You know? 
And this was the first. Was this you and Ben Adams uh, uh, scoping each other out to see if you could you could start a business together? Is is go to go to Thailand? No, we. I think we trusted one another plenty yeah. by then. We had done a lot of stuff together at that point, and you know, we spent a lot of time uh, together caving and hiking and yeah. just in general messing around, you know. And we'd actually worked together on a, an assortment of smaller things at that point too, and so we'd begun to trust one another's style of doing things and. I can do some things better than he could. And of course he's a great designer and artist and yeah. I am not those things. So, um, well, what was the, the purpose of the trip? You said it was like an outreach deal or some kind of like engagement with the community. It, well, you know, that's the, the high minded version of it. But in reality, in like July of 2009, Ben Adams called me up at work. You know, this is when he could hear. And, uh, he, uh, called me up at work. Cause he's deaf now. Cause it, well, I'm plot just, twist, plot twist, everyone. Ben Adams was deaf all along. <laughs> he actually wasn't. He lost his hearing yeah. because of that trip um, right. to Thailand. So, uh, so yeah, and like um, we we had been plotting and scheming for a while to start the business before that, and then uh, you know come you know July two thousand nine, Ben calls me up and says, "You want to go to Thailand this winter?" And I said, "Well, sure. Let me ask Lorena." You know, thinking he was kind of joking, and uh, I call Lorena. I was like, "Hey, Ben, wants me to go to Thailand?" She's like, "All right, I guess whatever." You know. <laughs> And uh, so it turns out he wasn't joking. And, you know, we raised up some cash and, uh, you know, we we went and um, it was a really interesting trip. It was a fun trip. It was anytime you go to a place that's dramatically different than where you're from, you know, sure. it's always eye opening. And Ben had been there before and knew a bit about where we we're going. He had connections there. He had some family actually living there at the time, which gotcha. you know made the last end of the trip really a lot better for us. Sure. And, uh, to get some creature comforts and stuff. But, you know, it was interesting because we actually spent time. Um, you know, we spent a little bit of time in Bangkok, and then we went up to Chiang Mai, and we met with this missionary group, a Christian missionary group. And um, they were uh, – the thing that they were doing that we were interested in was uh, providing food for these Karen refugees out of Myanmar. And uh, so these were, you know, mostly children. They were being overlooked by, you know, a few adults, and they were living in these, you know, huts out near the, you know, Myanmar or, you know, Burmese, whatever, uh, border with Thailand uh, out near the uh, Moai River. And um, – you know, we were able to go out with them and, you know, take this pickup truck load of food, but still pick up truck load of food out to these kids. And, yeah. you know, we were photographing these kids. So grateful to get this food. And, you know, I, I remember walking up in the, you know, kind of hillside with one of the older teens. that was kind of like, you know, not necessarily in charge, but, you know, obviously yeah. a leader of some sort. And he was showing me how their water was set up. And we walked, you know, a good ways up this super steep hill in the you know, hot jungle. And there's this like little puddle and they have a tarp and some rocks and they're filtering their water through that. And it's running down this pipe about 200 yards or so, maybe down. They put it under like through a drainage culvert that goes under the road to get it past the road. Wow. And then it comes down another hundred yards into their camp and then, you know, lands in a bucket and that's what they wash flush. You know, they don't flush. That's what they wash and, you know, drink yeah. basically, you know, uh, so it was, that, that was pretty eye opening to see that and to see those people doing good things, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm not necessarily one to hang on religion a lot, but they they were doing good things for these kids, sure. and I really appreciated that. And uh, they weren't just being dress up. No, they people. weren't. They weren't. They were showing up, and they still do. I actually keep up with those people. They still good. show up, and even with all the unrest in Myanmar right now, um, and I, I can't say their names because of some of the things they do, but um, it was a husband and wife team, and the wife is still actively going into Myanmar and rescuing kids out of those situations yeah. and bringing them back over and getting them set up. And it's, yeah. Yeah, it's really good stuff they do, I think. Yeah. But how long were you guys there? Uh, I think 10, 10 days, something like okay. that. Yeah, just under two weeks. And Ben Adams came back and couldn't hear? 
Well, he came back and could hear, but then over time it started to go away. And um, like how long? Um, we started noticing it maybe a month, and this two months your... after something like that. It's been a long time. I okay. can't quite remember. But but this is your new business partner. Like yeah, you guys yeah. Have... So we were starting this business together. And, uh, you know, actively like, you know, trying to dig up clients and, you know, get all the branding, all those things. And um, meanwhile, we're both still working full time. We get to around April. He can hear, I want to say it was his left ear. He could hear out of a little bit and his right ear was totally deaf at that point, I want to say. And, uh, you know, I remember him being at my house in Kentucky and, you know, we were talking he had to sit on my right side so I could, you know, he could hear me or whatever. And, you know, he had just, he left his job in April. Um, and I did, I had cold feet. I didn't want to leave my job to do this thing, you know, because I was feeling scared. Take the leap. Yeah, I mean, it was scary. Ben's yeah. losing his hearing. Everything's all topsy turvy, and uh, the economy wasn't doing well. You know, this is 2010. It's not yeah. like Knoxville was rocking in yeah. 2010. It was still climbing back. It was, yeah. And, it, and he was in Knoxville, and you were in Kentucky still. Yeah, yeah. He okay. he lived in Knoxville. He came back from New Zealand in oh four or five, which is where he's like from, that. right? Partially. Yeah. He, yeah. He was in New Zealand a while and then Kentucky a while and then went to school in Oklahoma for a bit and then traveled for a while. Okay. Yeah. Kind of bumped around. Yeah. So did they ever figure out why he lost his hearing? Because when I met him, he was deaf. Yeah. Yeah. He was most, when most people in this town met him, he was deaf. And it was like 2013, maybe or four or well, I'd been earlier. Yeah, I earlier guess it was 20, 2012, maybe 12, maybe when we met. It was completely gone. His, yeah. He couldn't hear anything. Yeah, by, by then it was totally gone. By the end of 2010, it was totally gone in both years. But he, uh, it was a parasite that he picked up, some sort of foodborne. In Thailand. Yeah, and that, well, that's the suspicion. He's traveled all over, so maybe it was something that was dormant in his body for a while. But it, the timing seemed pretty suspicious. You right know? after you got back, it yeah, started exactly. to go down. Exactly. As soon as we got back, you know, so it seemed pretty obvious. And But it's neat now. You know, he's back over in New Zealand. He's got a cochlear implant, and he can actually hear. He, he told me, I don't know, a few weeks back that he went to his first concert and, like, you know, forever. And, uh, he was like, it just, you know, it was crazy. <laughs> Dude, that's nuts. Yeah. He can, he can apparently hear. I've, I've not spoken with him in person. He's, he's called me a few times and I've, I've let it ring because, um, there's too much history to have our first call on Zoom. Uh, yeah. Oh, dude. I, I want to sit across the table from him, you know, and talk to him because we, we went through so much over so many years together. Um, you know, in business and friendship and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a brotherhood at this point between yeah. the two of us. And, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to zoom them. You know, I want to, I want to actually see him and yeah. talk to him. I feel you. How long has he, how long ago since he's been able to hear? I can't remember okay. actually, uh, may, maybe a year. That's or so. interesting yeah. because you, you know, this person, you know, deeply and intimately, but then you start a business together that goes on for however many years, five or six years, uh, seven, we seven had years. seven years until I went to where I'm at now at yeah. work. And then, um, you know, it went on for another year or so after that, me working kind of on the side. Yeah. Yeah. But but to have this this friendship, this relationship with somebody, and then you start a business with them, and then all of a sudden they lose their hearing, and you ultimately, your way of communicating with each other has to change. But you also kind of had to communicate for Ben a little bit because yeah. he couldn't yeah. hear. And and so in business, you were kind of his, his you were his ears, yeah, right? Because I mean, you could communicate with him. You've seen that over the years. You've seen us have to communicate yeah. with clients over time. You know, it's, I, I it's have, crazy. but then to, but then to have that be like this time where you guys get soup. Like I'm sure you went through all the things that partners go through, yeah. which is ups and downs and resentment <laughs> and happiness. You know, success and failures and yeah. all that. And to have like your your uh, friendship and relationship kind of pressed and boiled in that space when he couldn't hear 
Yeah, and now I can. Yeah. Again, it's like I, I understand. I, I understand that it that you guys have gone through so much. You want to look him in the eyes when you hear him talk to I you really for the first look time and know yeah. know that you that he can hear you. Yeah, I really look forward to it because um, you know something about having a dude that uh, you do you have to rely on him so closely or so much, and you have to rely be so close. What? You have to rely on him so so much, you know, and be so close to him. And uh, you know, and Ben and I were like that for so long, but you know he couldn't hear everything I was saying, obviously couldn't hear any of it. And so you, you know, when you communicate with someone like that and, you know, neither of us really signed, you know, yeah. we always just made up our own way, you know, I mean, there was 10 years there. I wasn't hurt at all. I mean, a lot of things that I would say wouldn't actually get through to him, you know, yeah. and it was obviously it wouldn't. And that's not something you want to say, Hey man, you know, I know you're not getting this. You just let, you start over time. You start to let those little things go. The little, the little details go and it, you know, really kind of deteriorates over time where you're letting bigger and bigger things go and you're right. having fewer and fewer sure. conversations. Because you you can self-govern a lot yeah. easier. You yeah. don't, you, you know, he's yeah. not going to hear you cuss in the corner after, exactly. you know, at him. Exactly. <laughs> you, know? you know, and, you know, he's, he's a very uh, strong-willed dude and I can be a strong-willed dude. And uh, especially in the beginning there, we both were. And so there was, there were times when we were tense, but there were way more times when we were having a hell of a good time. You yeah. Know? Like we, I remember once we went, um, so the Tennessee Association of Museums, uh, we did some like kind of pro bono design work for them just so we could kind of go to their show and meet other museums, maybe get some work from it. And we wound up getting a little bit of work from the show, but we did this, uh, they have their annual conference every year and we did their one, um, in 2011, it was in, um, Johnson city, I want to say. And, uh, we, so we had no money for a hotel or anything. You know, we, we had money for gas to get You guys there. were bootstrapping a new business. Yeah, exactly. The we village had, was pretty, it was pretty new. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. It was 2011. I mean, it was less than a year old. Yeah. So, so anyway, we really wanted to go to this thing, but we had no way to stay in their fancy, you know, 200 and some odd dollar not hotel for three days. So what did we do? We went camping, you know, we found a campsite outside of Johnson city on the Nolichuggy river yeah. and we pitched our tents and, uh, we would sleep in our tents at night and we would go to, um, you know, the conference in our jackets during the day and <laughs> your sport coat. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. So tired, Yeah, I bet. you know, cause you only sleep so well in a two man tent at night. You know, I mean, I had mine, he had his, but still that's only so much room to move around. And then the first night we were there, this real, real bad storm hits. And I remember like, I was texting Lorena, this is, this is a serious storm. I'm laying out there in this tent, you know, thinking I've got to go perform tomorrow. I've got to be on point, try to sell business and get money for my family tomorrow. And if my suit's going to get wet my, from my, the rain. My <laughs> tent was slapping me in the face. Like, and I was like, oh, no, this is a terrible storm. I'm going to die. This is the worst. But that was the sort of stuff we did. We did it the next year, too. We could afford a hotel the next year, but we chose not to. And yeah. honorarily, we said, we're going to go camp again. And it was in Memphis. It became a thing. Yeah. Oh, camping in Memphis. Well, there's a state park just north of Memphis, okay. um, up near the Air Force Base and stuff, I want to say. And uh, yeah, so we went camping there. And uh, that was better. <laughs> camping in Memphis. Camping in Memphis. But I can say I've camped in a tent in Memphis, yeah. Tennessee, which seems scary. Yeah, it does. So you came, ultimately moved down to Knoxville from Kentucky, mm -hmm. but like you grew up in Kentucky, right? Yep. Yeah. What, what, part, what part? It's counties up there, right? You tell people what county you're from. Well, some you? people do, um, but I'm from uh, a tiny village called Buckhorn, Kentucky. Buckhorn, Kentucky. It's beautiful. It's a little hamlet up in the highlands. It's in uh, northwestern Perry County. 
Um, it's got a lake. It's got a K through 12 school. It's got, uh, well, now I think one general store. There used to be, well, there was one when I was a kid, then a new one opened after I moved away. And then the old people died away. And so now there's one again. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the, the lake, the school, there's a home for, um, children there that, that have been abused and stuff, oh. um, to come and recuperate and gotcha. heal in the mountains. And so, um, and so it's weird. It's actually, it's actually an interesting little town because it was started, you know, I mean, it, it was always kind of like a little village of people. And then like uh, a dude, let's say his name was Harvey Murdoch, came to um, Buckhorn and um, he was a, a Presbyterian minister out of New York. And he came down there and, you know, saw this need in the mountains and went back to New York, petitioned, got money, came back and built this beautiful log cathedral there. I mean, it's, it's gorgeous. It's a it's on the National Register of Historic Places. It's, is it the oldest building there that's not a house? I would imagine it probably is. I can't imagine anything there that's still standing that's older than that now. Yeah. When I was a kid, there were probably things that were older than that, like some old houses and stuff. But yeah. So he plopped down a, a church in the middle of, well, of not an a, Appalachian community. Essentially, yeah, but not just a church. It was a church and a school, and it mm. eventually got up to where it was almost like even a college status. You know, like it really? was actually called Witherspoon College for a while, and then really it backed back down. I don't think they ever really reached any kind of major accreditation. You know, I could be mixing yeah. up that, but. Uh, but yeah, so it, and it ultimately became this uh, thing that, you know, as it evolved over the time, the school was no longer really viable. Um, the county took it over, all that stuff, built a new school. The, you know, um, uh, Witherspoon College kind of morphed into Buckhorn Children's Center. And now ah. I think it's Buckhorn Children and Family Services. And so, you know, it's a employer there in the community and it helps kids who have had a, a real tough way. You know, I knew a lot of the kids that came from the center over the years. and Really? You know, some some good kids that just had tough, tough times in life. It's a tough-ass place to live, right? Buckhorn? Well, or, I mean, that— <laughs> Or just, a children's center, like when you're coming from Louisville and, like, inner I, city Louisville into inner Appalachia. That's what I always thought was tough. That's, what, I'm, that's what I mean is, yeah. is being in, you know, a small, very small town in Appalachia. Yeah. It, it's a tough— it's a, it's a tough existence, Well, seems seemingly. I don't you know. know. I, so— Eastern Kentucky in particular, uh, I think, and, you know, where I grew up there was, it's not an easy place to live. It was a very rough place when I grew up. Like, there there were rough characters there. You knew it was a place that you didn't mess with people. You knew it was a place you could get hurt, you know. And uh, there were good people, and there still are very good people there. And some of the smartest people I've ever known have come out of there. But, you know, it's there were also a lot of rough, terrible customers. And I think a lot of of us that got out of there feel a lot of – you know, almost survivor's even, guilt. Yeah, PTSD almost <laughs> even from coming out of that mess because it was, it was a tough, tough place to to grow up. I, d- I did not enjoy it. Like it's a, it's a beautiful place. The lake's a really pretty lake. Um, you know, the church is beautiful. There's another old building on that campus that's still there. There's a lot of great people. You know, um, but uh, you know, it's not a place I could I could ever feel at home. You know? Right. Um, coal mining. Mm. They is do it, that there. Yeah. Is, is that the big, is that the main? Well, when I was a kid, it was. The main now, source of income for everybody in the town? Yeah. When, when I was a kid, it, it was. But, you know, there wasn't a mine in the town. The mines were a few, you know, like a few mountains over, essentially, in a town called Chavis is where the first mines popped up. And then there were others in other counties around that people yeah. would go to. But my dad worked, he was he was a surface miner, and he worked in um, Chavis at, for a company called Pine Branch Coal. Okay. It was owned by a dude named, uh, or started by a guy named Don Duff. Ultimately, his son, Dave Duff, inherited it and Dave sadly passed away out in Colorado a couple of years ago in a bike accident. Mm. He sold the company ultimately and yeah, went to live his dreams out in the mountains and 
you know, wrecked and died. But uh, um, so dad did that from the, I guess, the late 70s until he died in 03. So it mm. was a long time he drove, you know, giant trucks. and What's surface mining? So, you know, I mean, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with underground mining where you blow a hole in the ground, you go in it with low riding equipment or whatever, and you sure. just scrape it out, whatever. Yeah. Um, surface mining is more like the mountaintop removal style where you have a mountain, you know the coal's this far down, you blow it off, uh, the top of it off, and you dump it down the valleys, you scrape the coal out, and then you try to make it look like it was supposed to be like that. Really? Yeah, it's a real... It's a terrible way to mine coal. So you <laughs> pop the lid off the mountain and you then just start digging it. everything out. Yeah. Imagine taking the entire top. You know, Mount Lacan's got the four distinct knobs, right? Imagine yeah. taking all that off and making it one big level bloop up yeah. there like blob. That's what they did every day. And that's what my dad did every day. And I don't know. He was a real outdoorsy type dude. And I don't know if he knew how bad what he was doing was. Really? Maybe he did. I don't know. Well, at the time he was doing it, I mean, you said he passed away in 2003. Yeah. So at the time he was doing it, there. I mean, I know there was there wasn't as much environmental regulation and environmental awareness of stuff like it that. Certainly was, not, you know, yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah. As there is now, and it's there's a lot more now. Yeah, for it sure. Seems like so. You know, people could. I, I mean, and who's going to fault him for providing for his family? Yeah, exactly. In, well, in the community that he lives in, precisely. what what else is he going to do? Nothing. There was nothing else to do there, and you know, it's. Uh, it didn't provide handsomely for us, but it provided a living. You know, yeah. we, we, we didn't go hungry and uh, we were never particularly poor, you know, because it always provided us pretty, pretty safe living. You know, there's ups and downs in that industry. I can remember times in like the early, early 90s where, you know, work was bad and dad would be at work maybe three days a week instead of six. You normally work six days mm-hmm. out of the week every week. And uh, Yeah, because it's a commodity, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, it's he's he's subject to market pressures. He sure was. And so you would have those times when it's like, ooh, well, now we don't – we're definitely not going to go out and grab some McDonald's after grocery shopping today, are we, Mom? Because, you yeah. know, there's no money. And Your parents married? Yeah, 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 they were. They were married um, on your dad's birthday. Oh, you know my dad's birthday. I do know your dad's birthday. Um, I, uh, that's their anniversary? Yeah, that's their anniversary. Um, 1980 Okay, is when they were married. And then when did you come along? Uh, June 22, 81. So not too long after. Yeah, but more than nine months, you know. Yeah, more than nine months. Yeah, they tried to keep it classy. Listen, my parents didn't keep it classy at all, man. My, uh, my dad was married when he and my mom uh, got together. And um, the story goes, and, you know, I've heard this from dad's brothers and I've heard it from my mother. I haven't heard it from my dad's mouth, but I'd, if he were around, I bet he would tell it the same is that they, they being my mom and my dad, and there was a big friend slash family group. So there were two or three families that hung out together a lot in Laurel County, Kentucky back in the seventies. And uh, you know, the backs and the Greers and the Hubbards and these other odd and in people. Um, and so uh, they were all in um, Leslie County, Kentucky, uh, which is where my mom's, mother's family is all from. Okay. They had a big tract of land back there near sure. the Buckhorn Lake. Same lake, just different county. It's, okay. it's stretched across. Other there. side of the lake. Yeah, other side of the lake, basically. Yeah. Right. And and so anyway, they're all back there having a, a big party. And uh, dad... Probably a hootenanny if I was, was going to venture a guess. I would, you know... If I was a betting man, I'd say it escalated to hoot nanny status for Pretty at least quick. a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so dad had apparently uh, gone out and set some bush hooks for catfish. Are you familiar with bush hooking? No. What that is. So uh-huh. you, so you go out in the lake yeah. and uh, you catch yourself some bluegill or some bait. Or you can use chicken mm-hmm. liver or whatever. Small you want. fish. Small fish are the best. Yeah. Uh, 
So you take a line and you tie it to a bush, you know, like a springy branch and uh-huh. you drop your line down to where your little bluegill will only be partially in the water. You'll make a lot of splash and yeah. you hook them, you know, and you leave them let there. Him swim, hook them through their lips and let them stay alive hook and him, swim. Hook them under his uh, spine, dorsal fin. Yeah. Okay, and, let him, and let them swim around. And so a catfish will ultimately come up and grab them. It's never a big catfish, but it's an eating size catfish, which is what they were going for. Uh-huh. And so dad had said all these things because, you know, I guess he maybe got stir crazy or something. I don't know why he was out there said bush hooks I, I wasn't born yet um <laughs> but he uh he went out and said them and uh you know you can't just set them and leave them you need to go out and check them through the night and so at sure. one point dad's like i need to go check my hooks and his wife was there with him uh i want to say her name was judy i, I never met the your lady. dad's first wife my dad's first wife yeah, yeah. i want to say her name was judy and so he's like, you know, Judy, come help me check these hooks. Paddle me out there so I can check them. She's like, yeah, no, whatever. And my, my mom, Sarah, was like, well, I'll go. <laughs> Turns out they took a little longer setting the, or checking the hooks. Did they? <laughs> they checking they, the bush hooks? Well, they checked the bush, all right. <laughs> <laughs> So it's is it, so is that the is that the day he left Judy? And well, that's the day he decided my mom would be a good roommate for he and Judy. <laughs> and he, really, he, yeah. he moved your mom in he with his wife. In. Yeah, that's what I was told is that she lived in there with him for a while in their house in London. And what's that dynamic like? I, well, I don't know. I'd say it's weird though. Did, did, when when he moved your mom in, was it known that she was she was the predecessor or the uh, the successor? I gotta think so. Really? <laughs> I mean, you would think it'd be. Oh man, feels, that sounds, feels obvious. That sounds stressful. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't around. <laughs> <laughs> so then your dad leaves Judy and yeah. and, and meets your mom. Well, the, I don't and I you know I don't know any of the details of this, but somehow between Judy and my birth, my parents moved from London, Kentucky, which is the town of. At least two stoplights. Yeah. Maybe three. It's, it's, it's biggish. It's, well, you know, it's for a southern Kentucky town. Yeah. It's one of the bigger ones. Yeah. You know, there's stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a KFC, for example. Yeah. Um, has, of course. <laughs> the Colonel. Um, but uh, they moved from there over to um, eastern, like far, further in eastern Kentucky and Perry County, you know, where Buckhorn mm. is. But they didn't move to Buckhorn straight away. They moved to this uh, – uh, another part of the lake, essentially. This is my whole youth centers around that one lake, yeah. just different parts of it. Sure. But um, to a place called, um, I want to say Stable Fork. And okay. it was near the Gaze Creek boat ramp on and campground at Buckhorn Lake. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And and so this you're born, you have a sister, right? I have a half-sister. Half-sister from Judy? Uh, no, this no, was from your mom. My mother had a previous marriage okay. and produced Tori, um, who's not much. Yeah, no, don't keep up with her, really? Uh, I haven't spoken with her in... So since probably 2006 or seven, I would say. Okay. Yeah. Um, some yeah. Rift there of some sort. Or... Well, you know, it's Appalachia. How much of that do you want me to talk about? Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's rough. It's, it gets... it's, it's bad. It's a bad place to live in a lot of ways. And a lot of bad habits get formed there for a lot of people, unfortunately. And she was one of those people. I remember you told me one time I, I came to you and I was like, Hey man, your home state is exporting the best country music in the game right now. And I, I was like, you know, Chris Stapleton, call mm. it what you will, you know, like it, don't like it, whatever. Still, still, you know, solid, yeah, solid. Got it. You can't, can't fight. Can't it's, it. it's solid and prolific. Yep. Sturgill Simpson. Sturgill Simpson. Yeah. And and then Tyler, Tyler Childers, Childers. Yeah. Came out right, right after that. And um, I remember you said, I was like, what's going on? Why is Kentucky like exporting the most raw, gritty country music like country used to be before it mm-hmm. became pop country? And you're like, you said something to the effect of, man, those people are, are just talking about how shitty it is to grow up there. 
because it's a hard place to live and it resonates. <laughs> yeah. It's resonating. It does, man. Yeah. It does. It's a, you know, a lot of people love it there. But for kids, and I feel like Sturgill is probably one of these kids. I feel like Chris Tate, but I feel like those more creative artistic kids are the ones that uh, kind of get ostracized there. You know, they get shoved to the periphery, you know. I, for having you, their Nirvana shirts on or whatever. You, you, you can't be different there, man. When yeah. I was a kid, you couldn't be different at all. Really? You know, I mean, you know, I'm a big Flaming Lips fan. And so Wayne Coyne's one of the weirdest dudes you'll ever see in, on planet Earth. And yeah. I was like 13 years old. I saw the She Don't Use Jelly video. And, you know, Wayne Coyne's looking like Wayne Coyne, which is yeah. much like my youngest child now, you know. And <laughs> Rainbow thought, hair. Right? Yeah, just like yeah. awesome, you know, just like being who he wanted to be. And yeah. I saw that. I thought, fuck, I, that's cool. You know, that yeah. I saw that. I thought that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. I want to be that. But I knew that if I was that for two seconds where I grew up, I'd get the shit beat out of me. Really? And and, and then be pushed aside for forever. Like everyone, yeah. you'd always be known as that person that was the yeah. fucking weirdo, you know? Well, what did everybody want you to be like? What did they want each other to be like? As, as plain as possible, you know? I mean, it was a real um, cut and dry, plain place. Like you were, it was whatever band was popular at the time. Maybe it was Nirvana, you know, Nirvana definitely went through the time there, but it was mostly a Metallica ACDC crowd, jeans and flannel shirt, combat boots really? crowd. Yeah. I would have expected it to be more rural camouflage boots, muck boots, farm stuff. No, it wasn't really a thing back then. Really? So much. Yeah. That it, at least where I was, that wasn't a thing, you know, cause we didn't have farmers, you know, we had miners and miners didn't dress like that necessarily. Right. You, know, you wore your camouflage when you went hunting. For right. Sure. Yeah. But otherwise, you know, you wore your jeans or you, you know, I wore khakis, you know, or whatever, you yeah. know, you wore some kind of pants like that and like a, a regular old novelty t-shirt or something and or flannel like if you if you dress too far out of line like I'm trying to think of some examples there's this kid that came I was, it was my senior year of high school his last name was Picklesimer which is an unfortunate name to have when you come to Buckhorn Kentucky yeah there's probably like you know 25 last names there or something like that right I doubt that many really know. yeah um I, Hubbard was odd we we were the only Hubbards there there were really? only um two Hubbards that ever went to Buckhorn school. And one of them was me. And the other was actually my dad's sister's oldest daughter had the surname Hubbard for a bit or kept it for a bit. And um, she attended like one year in like the fourth grade or something. Wow. Okay. So, so yeah, I mean, it's a very, so there's five last names. Yeah, basically five yeah. families. There's like Combs's and Abner's, <laughs> you know, a couple others. Yeah. Uh, Gays. Um, who else? Uh, Smiths. There's some Smiths yeah. there. And the Daniel family. So if you come yeah. in with a name like, what did you say, Pickleheimer? Picklesimer. Picklesimer. He came from the Children's Center, the thing I mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah. yeah. So like he was a, you know, he had a bad go in life. Did and he so, get worn out in high school? In dude, uh, high school, It was so bad for him. So he went thing. to this Children's Center to rehabilitate his life yeah. and then had to integrate back into and so, Appalachia. And so here he comes, you know, being, I don't remember where he's from. It was, you know, one of the Kentucky cities or Cincinnati or something like that. But, you know, he... I don't know. He, he didn't look out of place for the late 90s, but he looked out of place for Buckhorn, Kentucky in the yeah. late 90s, you know. Yeah. And so, like, the kind of style he had wasn't well received by the people there. And I remember getting a lot of verbal altercations of folks there over it, like, you know, leave the dude alone. He's, he was a cool dude, you know. Like, he actually was a nice guy. Yeah. Had uh, a lot of similar music interests and stuff with him. And so, you know, he was, you know, I don't know what ever became of him, you know. It was way before the Facebook days and all that jazz. Yeah, for sure. So you moved down here and you were commuting for a minute from, was it Corbin? Somerset. From Somerset. Yeah. So you, uh, 
you have an interesting story because you had a kid by the time you were out of high school, right? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. So did. you, yeah. How, how'd that whole deal work out? Well, when a man and a woman love each other very, very much. Shit happens. <laughs> shit happens. Yeah. Well, uh, sorry, a man and a woman. <laughs> my bad, my bad. When two basically 16-year-old kids are really, really into one another, yeah. they make a baby. And, really? Uh, no. It, you know, Lorena and I, um, I don't know. It's it's maybe a bit unfair to us because, you know, when we were young, she, uh, you know, had like a lot of uh, people, you know, a lot of women had some issues with, you know, her uh, – you know, like um, ovaries and things like that, you know, just yeah. odds and ends. And uh, was actually told by a doctor, you're, you're never going to be able to have babies. Really? Yeah. And uh, so that was kind of our. Yeah. That you was know. your contraceptive. <laughs> that was the thing, you know, we thought it was like, well, she can't get pregnant anyway, yeah. you know, so uh, well, why would we care, yeah. you know? And it wasn't like, you know, too, you know, I mean, we were, we were young, you know, I mean, yeah. we didn't have a lot of sense. So yeah. <laughs> Weren't thinking straight just yet. No, no. But but you but you had a kid. Your daughter was born when you were in high school. She was she was born just after I graduated. Okay, but Lorena was still in school. Yeah, okay. and um and and Lorena, your wife's one hundred percent Mexican, right? <laughs> she's a Mexican from Ohio. A Mexican from Ohio. Uh, Ohio Mexican. How did yes, she? she how did yeah. she fit in 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 Buckhorn, Kentucky? She's not from there. She she's was not? from a county over. Okay. Um, from a place. Um, if you have a well. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be mean. Um, it's, they pronounce it Rousseau. It's maybe okay. called Rousseau or okay. something. It's like Versailles. You know, they, they mispronounced all the, yeah. all the French. Kentuckians aren't good with European names. Aren't, aren't good with French. <laughs> Kentuckians haven't, haven't gotten French <laughs> nailed down just you, yet. You should, you should see them try anything else. You know, yeah. there's a hoop filary gap where I'm from. Yeah. What's it supposed to be? Uh, literally hoop for Larry. Larry used to live there. Hoop for Larry. <laughs> So, uh, where was Lorena from? A, t- a town uh, over? So, yeah, so she was from one county over. So, okay. so Breathitt County. I'm from Perry okay. County. And so it was about an hour and 10, 20-minute drive gotcha. to her place. So you guys have a daughter, young. Yes. Yes. You, you, I just went to your 40th birthday party last week. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. you made it. Uh, you have a daughter that's out of college, to kind of put that in perspective. I do. I do. It, it's kind of crazy. She turns it, 22 years old today. Happy birthday, Jolene. I love it. <laughs> 22 today. Man. Happy birthday, Jolene. 22. And already graduated. Yeah. Graduated with her bachelor's in photojournalism, and uh, she's pursuing a master's in visual communication at Ohio. That's awesome, man. Well, what was it like having kids young then? Was it uh, was it pretty commonplace, or were people waiting to get married and, and, and do it? Or were you the first one of anybody you knew to have a kid? No, no. Actually, it runs in my family. My, my mother had my daughter, or my my mother had my sister early. My sister had her first kid early, and yeah. Yeah, I fucking did it too, I guess. Yeah. But um, no, people really. There weren't that many people in my class anyway that did that. I had one friend, David Combs, um, who's a career Navy man now. You know, really looks like he's a solid dude. But uh, he and his um, girlfriend at the time had a had a baby, uh, Dalton. He was born six months ahead of Jolene. <laughs> okay. So David had a kid while while he was actually in school. So that's, that's kind of weird, you know. Well, what was that like having a kid young? Was it accepted by the family? 
No, not no. not your family, not her family. No, no one really accepted any of it. I mean, her family kind of had to, you know, because you're not going to kick her out, and make her go hungry, and it's not exactly like I'm going to start making a lot of money immediately as a high school kid. So, yeah. So did you, you, know, did you go to work then to provide for your family? No, I went to one year of school, and um, that was at the insistence of uh, her parents and mine. I had a, yeah. the Berea College Scholarship where yeah. you know you can go for. You know, you work essentially as a work education thing. And so I went for one year and I commuted back once a week to at least to see Jolene and Lorena. And uh, then sometimes, you know, if I had the opportunity two or three times a week, you know, I mean, just depending on how often I could get out. And then as soon as uh, the second semester ended, I quit and went to Lexington and got a job and started working on getting our, you know, stuff together so we could have her up there. So you're 19 years old, trying to find a job, get your wife moved in with you. Is that kind of the, the that play? was that was that was what it was. Where'd yeah. you go to work? So, when I moved to Lexington, my first job was at a train making uh, like the air conditioning company. Yeah. Making, nineteen years uh, old, nineteen years old, making yeah. giant air conditioners. And this was like when the pill thing was first starting to hit. Yeah. Let me tell you who liked pills: the guys working in factories. Like really? they were real into it. And like what uppers, downers, anything they could get their hands. Those when oxycontin was really hitting at the yeah. time, and all that. Anything stuff. you so, can crush up and put up your nose, basically. Yeah. And so all these dudes were actually commuting out of where I grew up, you know, and driving up to Lexington for these jobs, and they were just getting real into that. And it was a it was a spooky time. Like, did you ever wild? Was it ever an option for you to get into that world? No, did, never did. Really? Did no. you? Did you ever feel like you could slip into it? No, no. I, you know, I mean, you, you have kids. You've looked at them. As soon as you, you know, know you have that family. You know, you know you have to have that discipline to get them where they need to be. And yeah. As a teenage parent, that discipline's so much more. You know, you, you have no idea how hard that actually is to do to be taken seriously in a job or even at a church or at a store with your kid. Like people think, always think you're a brother babysitting or some bullshit, you know, when in fact, you know, you're going to bat every single day and yeah, you know, it's, it was, it was not easy. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Lorraine and Jolene, you know, every birthday we look at old photos and stuff and we see all the fun memories, but it's like hard as fuck. Yeah. Everything was, everything was so much harder than it should have been. Did did it nurture any kind of like chip on your shoulder at all to be to know that like the community viewed you, you know, one way as, you know, babies having babies? Or did you feel in public? Do you feel like people were looking at you and all that? Yeah. Yeah. Because they were. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. There was this. uh, Well, I mean, there's I won't I won't get any of the stories of, uh, you know, times when Jolene would act out in public or something and people think that we were like the help, you know, and address like if my parents were there, you know, or Lorena's parents or whatever. And. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy, enjoy any of those early times like that, you know, the way people would treat us. And also, you know, being a mixed race couple, you know, you don't exactly get treated the same. A young mixed race couple with a baby gets looked at pretty lowly. Really? Yeah. Typically. At least we did. <laughs> it seems like it motivated you though, to not want to be what everybody else thought that you were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a lifelong pursuit of mine though. Really? You know, I've never wanted to come across as the standard hillbilly, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whenever we found out Jolene was on the way, um, yeah, it was a lot of motivation because, you know, then I thought, well, I, I've not made this mistake. I've done this thing, you know, and now everyone thinks less of me. You know, I had family members, both from mine and Lorena's side say, you know, you're you're fucked. You're going to fail. You know, can't wait till you fail. You know, can't really? wait to see you guys split up. Good job. You know, yeah. and you really messed this one up. Yeah. I really screwed the pooch there, you yeah. know? And, uh, 
and I think Lorena would attest to this too if she were here. Like both of us had this huge drive to prove those fuckers wrong. Yeah. And when Jolene graduated college, you know, uh, back in May, I guess, Lorena and I were standing there like smirking, you know, like yeah. just yeah. You guys, you know, <laughs> fuck you. Fail? What was that thing about failing again? Tell me how I was going to fail, you know, because yeah. as kids, you know, I think what you, you may be united, Lorena and I, as much as anything in the beginning was this mutual drive to get the hell out of where we were. Really? It was, it, it really was that bad. It was a bad place to grow up, and neither of us were comfortable or happy there, and we wanted to leave there as badly as possible or as quickly as possible. And so we were fucking hell bent. We weren't going to fail. We were never going to go back and have to rely on someone in that dump to bail us out, you know? Yeah. And so it, it took some doing though, because you, again, like, like you were doing in Lexington, going back and forth an hour on, on the weekends when you're 19, you ultimately did that in Knoxville too. But um, when you were in Lexington, didn't you work at, um, didn't you work at Big Ass Fans for a minute? I did work at Big Ass Fans back when they were known as the HVLS Fan Company. Um, they uh, stood for high volume, low speed. Mm. Um, and then they got a marketing guy in there. He was like, let's disrupt <laughs> the whole fan game. They did. His name's Bill Buell. And really? we should call him up. He's a real cool guy, actually. He he influenced me a lot when I was young because, one, he believed that I wasn't stupid, you know, yeah. um, and that meant a lot. Like, he How believed, old are you now working there? Um, at the fan company, I guess. Yeah. When I started, I was 20. Okay. And I was maybe almost 22 when I left, something like that. Okay. Were you working in marketing there? So I started in the warehouse because, you know, I'm good at driving a forklift. That's a skill you might not know I have, but I'll tell you what, you just <laughs> – Bring old dad a forklift and watch him go to town. And so, so we're driving That's this. that dad confidence that you had. No, no, nobody. Bring it over. Yeah. I got this forklift. Yeah. Don't worry. I'll drive your forklift for you, buddy. Um, so anyway, I, I was. I was managing the warehouse there. And, you know, managing the warehouse was me lifting boxes. There was no people. You know, I didn't have a At team. HVLC? HVLS. HVLS. Fan company. Fan company. Yeah. And so – Working in the warehouse, slinging boxes, unloading trucks and stuff, and uh, start striking up conversations with Bill, Bill Buell. And those conversations lead to us, you know, uh, kind of talking about, you know, because I was super young and he knew it and he knew I wanted to go back to school and stuff because I was out of school at the time. And he was like, you know, do you, uh, you know, what, what do you want to do and all this stuff? And I was like, well, I don't know. And he's like, well, why don't you come up here and help me one day? And so, like, I went up there and he's like, you know, I just, do you know what a press release is? And I was like, yeah, sure. Everybody knows what a press release is. You know, <laughs> How did I'm, you know what a press release was? I didn't was? know what a press release was. You didn't? Mm -mm. You just told him you did. Of course. Yeah. yeah. You know, because he was wanting me to help him. And I saw that that was a way to not sweat my balls off every yeah. day in a warehouse, you yeah. know? And so he was like, you know, you know what a press release is? Like, yeah, sure. He's like, well, you know, I forget what it was at the time. He's like, we need to write one for this, this, and this. And, um, you know, can you have it done in such and such? I'm like, yeah, of course, of course, of course. And I remember it wasn't like a Google search I did after that. It was like a Yahoo or some sort of thing. But like as soon as he left the room and left me at this computer, I was like, press release format. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the things I had no idea what it was. And like, I had to actually look at it. He'd give me like facts or figures, like the stuff to talk about and, and some quotes. And that was, he it. gave you the stuff to plug in. And he you, gave me the stuff to and plug then in. You found out what a press release was and plugged it in and then wrote words around it. Right. Basically. And that got me a job in the office and I could wear, 
collared shirts and not have to sweat every day. And it was so you worked for Bill Buell. Bill Buell, that was my direct supervisor. Yeah, and that was still the HVLS company at that point. At that point, but we were running a lot of the big ass ads. So the ads were this uh, split. You know, this is print ad days too. By the way, you yeah. know, this is way before digital marketing was a thing. But um, we would run these split ads where it was uh, big ass. It'll literally say big ass and have this donkey with its butt turned towards you. And then on the other side, this picture of this giant fan, the twenty four foot you know, wide one or whatever, um, big ass fan on that side and then have our contact information below. So we were doing these ads and getting a lot of flack from different people and a lot of the praise. Christian from community. <laughs> yeah. The Christian community did not like us at all. We got a lot of hate mail when it was still mail. And, um, so anyway, uh, you know, I remember talking to Bill one day in the office and him being like, we should just call the company big ass fans. Cause everyone just calls them the big ass fans. Like we're known at every trade show as the big ass fan guys, Blah, blah, blah. You know, he just goes on about it. And, you know, I'm just a kid. I'm like, cool, man. Cool. And so he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to pitch and we're going to do it, you know? And so he does, he literally sits down with uh, Carrie Smith, who owned the company at the time. He's since sold it. Um, He sits down with Carrie, who is a real demanding, real angry type dude, you know, like a real intense guy. Blue collar industrial type. No, uh, very well educated. He's an engineering background Mm. and just, um, just, I don't know, probably stress causing him to be angry. But he was a very angry person. Yeah. And you know, it was a very tense work environment at, yeah. that, at that time. I don't know what it yeah. became. But anyway, so Buell sits him down with some other like people in the company. It wasn't like leadership. It was just like the sales manager and some other people around. Like it was a tiny place at the time. I was, I was maybe the seventh or eighth person hired there, you know. And so he sits him down and it was like, we should call the company the Big Ass Fan Company. You know, it's no longer HVLS. That's boring. This is the way we're going to take it. Carrie was, I don't know, you know, causing a lot of trouble. And then eventually he succumbed to it and we started rebranding it as the big ass fan company. And the next thing you know, you know, Carrie Smith selling it for $500 million or whatever. And really having a good living. I remember the first one I ever saw was at the Orange Peel. Oh, in, yeah. Nashville. In, Ash- in Asheville. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was turned off <laughs> um, because it wasn't hot in there. I looked up at it. I was like, "That is a big ass." Fa- oh, that's exactly what, what it, it says is. on top. Of it. And then it had the it had the logo. Such brilliant marketing. It, it is because it's so simple. It yeah. is. And then it and then it fired up. Yeah. Through the during the show and cooled off the whole place in yeah. about fourteen seconds. It's so funny, man. I you know a big ass fan spins over my head every day at work. We have two really? of them in the in the office um, out in my area of it. Did and you recommend them? No, they were no, there they whenever I interviewed. Yeah, whenever mm. I interviewed with Jason, he walked me around. He's like, oh, and you know you'll probably find these interesting because I. Because to this day, I'll put it on my resume. Like if yeah. if I were to get interested in finding another job, I would list big ass fans for the name value yeah. because people recognize it. Yeah, and um, they recognize when I was there. I think too. Then like that was a that was a time when they weren't as popular. Like what yeah. were you doing back then? You know, and so. Uh, Anyway, they showed them to me there at work and I cracked up. And it's, it's funny too, like my high school um, has them spinning in the gym now. I've seen like videos of basketball games and stuff over the years and there's big ass fans spinning. And, you know, they they have no idea that one of their native sons was sitting there listening to the conversation going, man, I wish I could get out of here early today so I could go home <laughs> take a nap or some shit, you know, whatever I was into. And You saw the dawn of this, like, this amazing company, you know, that went from seven people to selling for half a billion dollars. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck, this is such a long day. God. I've submitted like 10 ads today. That's way too many. Well, you were a young dad at the time. I was. I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. Well, what did you do after that? Where'd you go? Um, so we moved to Somerset after that. Somerset, Kentucky. Kentucky, okay. Yeah, and um, I did freelance stuff for a while there. And um, bourbon, 
I'll have a, a, a touch. It's Kentucky bourbon. I see that. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much. Yeah. Mm, it smells like bourbon. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Checks out. Tastes like bourbon. Yeah. Ooh. Delicious. So Somerset? Somerset, uh, Lake Cumberland okay. area. Um, beautiful place to live. You know, mm. if, uh, you know, you, um, I don't know. It, it's it's got a lot better scene of people now. I think like it was transforming while we were there too. Yeah. But it's still like really um, kind of uh, backwards thinking in a lot of ways. I it it was the place that Lorena and I first noticed as a mixed race couple. We stood out, you know, really like a lot, lot. Even coming from Eastern Kentucky, it wasn't as bad there. Maybe because we were isolated among our friends and things there, you know. Right. But like, but out in public in Somerset, you realize that you we knew. You know, I had an aunt there, but that was the only person we knew in yeah. town. You know, and so like we knew nobody. We just moved down there blind, and that was such a stupid decision of mine. And yeah. I regret it to this day. But um, well, you moved down there. You bought a house. You started working mm -hmm. where? So I did freelance stuff for a while, and that didn't work out super well. So I had to work at Lowe's and do freelance stuff for a while. Oh, wow. Yeah, and just like make that. ends meet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that lasted for a year and a half okay. or so, two years maybe. Yeah. And um, then I got uh, a job with Carstone Industries, which manufactured um, commercial furniture. So uh, oh, cool. stackable uh, church furniture. And then what I really specialized in more was the bariatric furniture. So for mm. the morbidly obese. And yeah. so... It was actually, was that a branding job or a marketing job or not? Yeah, that was, um, I was the director of sales and marketing for that company. So, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. It was the same basic title I hold now, I guess, okay. but for a much smaller company. Then or now? Then. then. That works much, much larger, yeah, yeah. Than, than Carstone was. And Carstone was family owned and the owners were very evangelical type folks. And mm -hmm. uh, you had to have a certain standard of behavior around there. It was a much different work environment than anyone I'd ever been in. And it was weird, too, because we had, you know, like we actually made the furniture, you know, I... You know, my when I started there, myself and my team would take the orders or whatever. You know, we would set the campaigns and get the sales and take the orders, and you know, they'd go through the warehouse and get processed. And then as it you know deteriorated because of the recession, you know, the recession just killed this company. Mm. American manufacturing, you know, really took a punch then. And so this was two thousand seven and eight. Yes, yeah. I, I guess I started there in like oh four or five somewhere. In the so area. you were there a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I was there a while before we started the, the village. Maybe it wasn't four, maybe it was six actually. It, okay. it was a minute. So Carson was a big, was a big chunk of your uh, yeah. employment. It was. That's it, it was your the, house. And yeah, it was the biggest Kentucky. chunk. Of, I actually owned the house before, but it was still the biggest chunk of yeah employment in Kentucky really yeah. that I had. Yeah. And uh, so was that going to be your life? Like work for a, a factory, a manufacturer, um, whether it's in a marketing department or in some other capacity or go to a bigger market? Um, going to a bigger market wasn't much of an option back then. You know, Lorena was pretty settled and didn't want to move. You know, we were raising the family. Yeah, you, know. you had another kid, by yeah, another girl. John was on or there in 05. And so, you know, we we were content to be raising our kids and just getting yeah. <laughs> getting some sleep at night at that yeah. point. Lay and, down some some roots and, and messed up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, at that point in time, you know, Carson was in a terrible place to work, really. You know, I got to travel some with it. You know, I got to go out to San Francisco and visit my cousin Bill out there and, uh, you know, had a good time there and got to go to San Diego. I went to Chicago usually once or twice a month, you know. Nice. Um, there were so you had a multiple big boy job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was moving around and yeah. doing doing big things. And, and so by now, you're also not this young, you know, couple that's too young to have kids. You're now, you know, just a, a family in their in their mid twenties. Uh, yeah, but yeah. you're an interracial couple in <laughs> yeah. the middle of Appalachia. Well, you also think that you you outgrow being a teenage parent, but you don't because because really? even now, to me, it's surprising that you have a daughter 
that's out of college. Who was it the other day at work? Uh, shoot, someone was saying, you seriously have a daughter that's going to be that old. It's so, probably Sam. I think it might have been Sam, yeah. yeah. I wish Sam was here to yeah, Sam. Me too. Um, but yeah, it's I still fight that to this day, and so does Lorena. You know, people still don't believe it. It's it's less of a stigma now because right. we're successful. Yeah. Um, but when we were young and we weren't all that successful, it was a big stigma. And in Somerset, because it was a small town, and we worked for a small family-owned thing, it was still kind of a stigma. We'd really? still messed up. You know? Really? Yeah. It was very... Um, it's a bummer. Yeah, very what it was. Yeah. And so, um, but, you know, I mean, we, we made a good living. We had fun. We did things with the kids. You know, Lorena um, was fortunate to get to stay at home with the kids until we started the village, really. Yeah, really? She was staying at home so all she, until then. Really? That's yeah. great. So you were working this marketing, sales and marketing job, yeah. providing for a family, great place, could have done it forever, right? Yeah, and then the whole recession created. And then the recession yeah. hit. So that's is that what motivated you to start your own company? That that was what sparked it. So in 2007, I came down here and visited you know, Ben Adams. And, and you uh, knew him from Kentucky already? Yeah, so his mom is from the area we were living in in Somerset, and his mm. dad is from New Zealand. I don't recall exactly how they met, but they met somehow. Yeah. And uh, she moved to New Zealand. They birthed Ben and his brother, Sam, um, who's a little bit younger. Um, he lives here in Knoxville, actually. I don't know where or what he does. Or I don't keep up with him, but he, he lives here. And um, then they when, they, when the boys were small, they moved back to the state or moved over to the States, lived in Somerset there. Okay. Uh, when Ben graduates, he moves away and ultimately winds up back in New Zealand. But we get to know his parents through the church we went to at mm. the time, um, you know, really uh, in our Christian, Christian phase back yeah. then, you know. And, and then so his parents said, hey, I've got a son who's into creative stuff. You might like to meet him. It was exactly that. Yeah. yeah. They were like, hey, our son seems a lot like you. And yeah. I think that was what it was that I reminded them of their son for yeah. various reasons. And, and so. so he came back from New Zealand. You guys met? Yeah, we met up and... Um, you know, I mean, he was a cool dude. I, you know, we got along pretty fast and started doing little caving trips and whatnot together. And then he winds up moving down here and he would occasionally come up and visit. We'd see him on like the weekends at a church yeah. event or whatever. And he would, uh, you know, encourage us to come down here and visit. And we, we didn't, you know, for a while. And then ultimately we wound up down here after, I guess his oldest son, Luke was already born. We came down here and hung out for a weekend and this is when the 100 block was actually torn up. It was interesting because Ben and I probably looked into our future office space from yeah. street level. The 100 you know. block of Gay Street. Yeah. It was torn was, up for a long time. They were redoing it back then. And that's when I first saw it. And so, uh, so anyway, I remember that very first trip. Ben was like, hey, you know, you ever, you like where you're working? You like what you're doing? I'm like, that's okay. You know, I dig it all right. And he's like, you ever interested in doing something else? And so it just kind of, yeah, you, you sow that seed and it just doesn't go away. And then ultimately, you know, we wound up doing what we did and, you know, getting down here, but, uh, it was, yeah, it was, uh, a, a, a lot of, uh, travel and a lot of, a lot of work, you know, those, those Somerset days seem uh, so far gone now too. Like it was, it's weird because, you know, I caved a lot back then and mm -hmm. we did all these other activities back then. Like I weighed fished a lot, you know, yeah. like did all these things I don't do anymore and kind of just feels like such a distant memory now. You had to do, um, after you guys started the village, after your trip to Thailand, you guys had to do a very, it seemed to me like it would have been a hard thing to do what you guys were doing, which is you still lived in Somerset. Your family was, had roots down there and you were driving a, I want to say it was an eighties model Volkswagen <laughs> yeah, it was. back and forth from That's Somerset on Monday morning, going to work, spending the week in Knoxville, crashing wherever, right? 
Uh, Hasib Kreshi, big shout out to old Hasib Kreshi oh, if he listens to this yeah. podcast for letting one Mr. Ben Hubbard sleep in his uh, JFG apartment. He would use that place as an office during the day, which, you know, Hasib, you know, Hasib, his office is wherever he's at. You know, he's always yeah. talking business and working, but, uh, you know, he would actually sit up there and code and stuff during the day back in the early, early days of the village. And, you know, he'd get done at five or six or whatever at night and he'd, you know, buzz out and, uh, then, you know, I would go grab dinner at Barley's or something and wander up there around 7, 730 and, you know, watch Netflix. You know, it was yeah. still new back then, but I would watch yeah. Netflix on my iPad and, uh, you know, do some do a little bit of work, you know, uh, FaceTime with the kids and be yeah. alone up, <laughs> up in, the, yeah. in the tower. Was that know? lonely? Like being away from your family during the week? Like I go away for a little bit and I'm like, yes, this is great. I love it. And then, you know, it's not too long before I'm like, man, I kind of miss those people mm. I live with. They're pretty all right folks. Yeah, you, you you tend to realize how cool your family is when you don't have them around. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it actually was incredibly lonely um, a lot of the time. And uh, but that's the kind of life I've always had to live. You know, whenever Jolene was born, I was in Berea. I was alone. You know, um, at college, at when college. You, with your kid and your wife back. Yeah, then. yeah. And you know, and there's a whole lot more to that story. That's probably not podcast talk. You know, the the reasons why all that was what it was then, but. Um, you know, and then you look at the Carstone times when I traveled a lot, you know, again, heading away up from to, the family. Yeah. Heading up to Chicago a time or two a month or going out West or whatever, yeah. you know? And so very frequently I'd be away. And then you fast forward to the, uh, you know, the village times when I was away almost constantly. And, um, that didn't, that didn't do us any good. You know? Really? Yeah. It didn't do us any good. We, I bet that's a stress. Uh, it, I bet it stresses a family unit. It does for stress dad to not be unit. there. It, it was too much stress on them. And, and I do, do regret it. I, I have a few regrets in life. That's one of them was putting them through that, but I was trying so hard to build something bigger for them. Yeah. And I think now, you know, looking back on it now, everyone feels good here and we're all happy in our roles. And so everything's fine. But like, I, I, I shouldn't have, I don't know. I don't know what else I would have done. You know, were, I had to provide for the family. You know, I don't know what else I would have done. I had to come down here to make the money and the house wouldn't sell. And so I was like, I can't be there. Yeah. You know, I have to be here to actually do it, you know? Yeah. And so. So was there a, uh, since you had become so accustomed to being, away from your family was there a time when was there like an assimilation period of like being around them all the time again so when you guys finally got back together in knoxville you moved the family down here to mm -hmm. island home like w was there an assimilation period where it was like getting back into being a family unit that exists seven days a week you know there there probably was but uh it was such a hectic time getting down here you know it's hectic for two reasons one you know, a lot of work going on at the time. We actually were starting to do some stuff and be able to make a little bit of money then. So that was nice. Um, and uh, two, you know, um, Lorena had been up in Somerset for these years, watching me come to Knoxville and be able to do all these things. Now she's in Knoxville where all these things are. She wants to go and do all the things that you've already done. And, yeah. And so it's like, <laughs> we're, sick of it. we're going, well, not sick of it, but it was a lot. You know, we're going out constantly, you know, yeah. doing something constantly. And, it was, you know, every Saturday at WDBX, you know, we were every blue plate special we could get to, you know, yeah. it's like every single thing. And I, and I don't blame her at all because, you know, she wants to experience it. And Lorena's a real full on person, you know, like she's a real high energy person. She really wants to get into things. And so she did. And it was wearing me out. That was probably my assimilation was just getting yeah. them to calm down. But I bet they would tell the story differently. I'm sure there was more friction than, and not necessarily friction, but assimilation, like growing pains again, you know, yeah. re relearning one another. But yeah. 
you know, I remember more of that when we were in Somerset because, you know, that was when we were kind of backing away from all kind of church related stuff and all yeah. that. And Lorena was backing away from it more slowly than I was because mm-hmm. I was here and I was, yeah. you know, around other influences and she, you know, was there around those influences. And so, you know, I remember that being the more tough, uh, you know, mm. like that was feeling tougher then. And then then once, the assimilation period was to get back to. Yeah, exactly. Once yeah. Yeah, that's the thing about Lorena and I, you know, once we, uh, you know, um, find one another again, we're fine, you know, yeah. like. And so you just got to get on the same page, Just got to get on the same page, yeah. you know, just got to make sure that we're thinking together. Yeah. And, and so. Well, I, I um, met you. I forget what year it was. 12, 13, something like that. Somewhere um, around there. Again, uh, uh, Jenny Andrews introduced Jenny Andrews, us. Yeah. She, uh, she knew I was starting my company, Patchwork Films, mm-hmm. and I was uh, looking for some office space. And she brought, she was like, I have a place that's perfect for you. It's small, but you can grow. And it's like, all right. It was perfect for you. Yeah. So she brings me down there, down to the, the uh, underground uh, underneath Dewar's properties on the 100 block. And there's this shingle hung out front. New South Collective. She was like, oh, yeah, that's the collective. It's like a – it was kind of like a WeWork space, right? It was. That's what we were thinking back at the time. I was really into that stuff back then. I wanted to have a co-working space, like something yeah. really dedicated. But I wanted to – I don't know. Like I wanted it to be different than what it became. You know, it was too loose. I kind of wanted something a little bit more formalized yeah. maybe. But uh, but it, it wasn't really a co-working space because, you know, we had our offices. Yeah, we But it, there we was still that collective mentality because yeah. we shared the common spaces and all that. But I remember she brought me down there and uh, uh, Roman was down there editing. Roman yep. Carpenter, yep. shout out my boy. <laughs> Roman. And uh, and you and Ben were down there. You were t- you were writing copy and Ben was designing stuff for one of your clients, whether it was a website or whatever it was. I think that there may have been somebody else down there. But Jenny introduced me to you guys. Uh, ben, I'd like you to meet Ben and Ben. I'm like, oh, this isn't going to go well at all. <laughs> And then, you know, you and I get to know each other. We're sitting there talking. It's about 10 o'clock in the morning. Ben Adams comes around the corner with this big pink 40-ounce bottle of, like, some rogue bacon-flavored beer. Terrible, terrible Yeah, beer. and he walks around the corner. He's like, this is the worst beer I've ever had in my life. You should try this. And I'm like, bro, it is 10 o'clock in the morning, and I'm about this action. I tasted it. And I was like, sign me You're up. You're right. This is terrible. It was terrible. Terrible beer, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. To date, that's the worst beer I've ever had. Yeah, me that was too. A terrible fucking. But beer. it was the it was the moment that we uh, that we met, and I was like, these guys don't seem too stodgy. You know, yeah. let me come and go as I please. And yeah, I think I could see myself hanging out with these guys on on a basis. And then we, you know, worked next door to each other for how long? Two oh, years, three years, two or three years there, well, maybe more. Like it was, I can remember in like twenty fifth. Maybe yeah. you were uh, you still had the space. You had opened it up. You had put the barn door in it. Um, yeah. All the equipment. Put was the down barn there. door and the kegerator in the it. The kegerator up front. What yeah. happened to that kegerator? Uh, gave it away to somebody. Oh rats! Yeah, he picked it up. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Good for him. That was yeah. a good kegerator. That was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you had rented it out to um, somebody. Who'd you rent it out to? Do you remember? Uh, who took it after me? No, no. You like sublet it to somebody for a while Did I? too. I don't yeah, remember that. I think we were upstairs then. But like we were, I mean, we were around one another for a, a long time. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I remember we were, neighborhood realty ended up taking over. My yeah, spot. yeah, yeah. After that, but you guys, it, it was cool. Like you and I became. Uh, 
stewards of the 100 block of Gay Street at that <laughs> we, time. We were on the board. We were on the board of the 100 block of Gay Street. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah, but that's a that's a cool area where art happens. It's it's it kind of the is, epicenter yeah. of First Friday, really. It when was you, in those days for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I haven't uh, done First Friday. Well, yeah, I mean, since COVID, obviously, you know, everything's been messed up. But I hadn't done First Friday in a minute since basically since we left down there. You know, yeah. once once the office closed, I kind of stopped going down. Well, you guys came at you. You made it. You graduated from underground like the cicadas. Yeah, and you came up and you got a spot. Zombie horde. Yes, up. Yeah. You, you got a you got a street level uh, storefront next to um, Crew or it, no, Sugar. It was, it was Sugar Mamas or something. Gosh, that space went well. It was Sugar Mamas probably for the most amount of time, but it was Holly's one thirty five for a while. It was Shuck way yeah. back in the day. Shuck. It was yeah. it was the first Nama. Yeah, it was the first Nama. Yeah, it was right. right. It was right next door. Your shop, the Village, was right next door to that. Dead next door to that, yeah. And uh, I think um, Jacks of Knoxville is in our old space. Now. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. And um, yeah, that was a that was a great space. Yeah, man. it was a great space. And you guys, I felt like really shepherded the community in your door. You know, we liked people for some reason. Yeah, yeah we. You know, the thing, and that's more Ben than me, really. But uh, Ben always liked having a crowd around. You know, he he liked those sorts of things, and. And That's funny because you know you would you you would see somebody who he couldn't hear at the time, you would think that that would make somebody nervous that they couldn't communicate with people. But he wanted people around. He he liked it apparently. Really? I mean you know like and I and I enjoyed it too. And you know there was a business aspect to it as well. You know we would yeah. sell art and stuff at those things. It yeah. wasn't like it was for nothing. But but yeah, like it got to the point where you know we we enjoyed throwing those big Friday parties. You know and those big first Friday things like spend all the money on all the beer. Let's let's throw one. You know and. We had a lot of fun in that space. A lot of people came through that. A lot of good times there. Um, yeah, it felt like the, the the epicenter of a scene for some reason. Yeah, it me. did. Well, and, you know, Ben, after, uh, especially, you know, towards the end there and then after my time, after I left, you know, really made it a scene with his figure drawing and all the things he was doing down there. Like, that yeah. was a legitimate crew of people that was hanging out and yeah. doing their thing. Yeah, he had, like, thing. some alt-art scene coming through, he coming really through your space. And he would go in the back and he would do figure figure drawings was, or paintings of people. It wasn't and my it, bag. Yeah. But he, you know, yeah. it was, it, you were the front, you were the front. You well, were the, 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 the I was front. trying to be, you know, still sell websites and all these things. And towards the end there, it was getting obvious that, uh, you know, we were never going to become millionaires doing that. And, uh, I think we both were starting to look at other outlets and, you know, for me at the time, thinking of a kid about to come to college, my outlet's got to be work. You know, I've still yeah. got to find a way to make a big living. So it doesn't seem like that much time passed where it was like, okay, I've got to start providing in a heavier duty way for my family. It, it, the lift just got bigger because I got a kid going to college. Way bigger, yeah. And it happened yeah. fast. And, you know, but Ben wasn't at that time, you know, like his his kids were uh, smaller. And, yeah. you know, he uh, would hang out and draw all night, you know, and hang out with uh, the scene down there. And. A lot of cool people, no doubt, came through. You know, yeah, a few of them I wasn't so fond of. You know, here and there, yeah. and you know, it just reminded me of some like Soho late night art scene that if you knew, you knew. If you, you knew, you knew. If door. you didn't, you didn't. Yeah, yeah. It's and real it, funny. Cool stuff happened in there. Cool, very cool stuff happened. A lot of cool art happened in there. It's it's funny that uh, you know some of the um, art that hangs in my house came from those sessions down there, and I have so many. Like boxes of Ben's old sketches and stuff. Because when he moved to New Zealand, you know, he left so much behind and, you know, it stays with me. So I've got all of our old stuff. And so I've still got all these old sketches and things. And uh, it's cool. You know, he, he's, a, he's an incredible artist. And um, I really, uh, you know, he had the scene he had down there and he was having fun. And as long as he's okay with it, I'm okay with it. That's kind of how I approach it. Well, he made a, he, he painted a, like, 
an engagement photo for me and Sarah. He did. I that remember is that. Hanging in my bath, yep. or it's it's like a centerpiece yep. of my bathroom. Yep. He's such a talented, brilliant he's, artist. He's fantastic. And you yeah. still work with him, right? I do. I, so, what yeah. was the transition out of the village? You know, it wasn't just the village then. We had signed on with some other partners back then, and uh, that wasn't. I didn't. I don't know. I, I didn't fit in with those people, and I think those people knew that they didn't need me as mm. much as they needed Ben. Because they needed his design skills and leadership, but they had another older type dude that could fill my role of selling jobs and stuff. He, he and writing maybe copy. He wasn't a stronger writer, but the, you know, there's not that much demand for that sort of thing. It's not. I'm never going to make a living doing that. I, I, You're damn good at writing copy. I can shit out some business copy faster than anyone you know. <laughs> like, it it just comes naturally to me. It's so, what were these partnerships like? They were they were you guys had kind of retainered up with some kind of no, other we, companies that had we wanted had, your services in house or something like that. No, we had uh, signed on with and, and I'm not going. It's too small a town to name names yeah. or things like that. But um, we had signed into another LLC where we were a part mm. of this uh, strategic marketing firm. So who, you partnership, you partnered with yeah, somebody. Yeah, we, with we were partners company. in another company, yeah. And yeah. so that... Did it feel like it was less yours at that point? Like the village had become less? Well, the, it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah it did. It, it did in a lot of ways. The village was no longer after that. you know. Yeah. At, but at that point, we were just trying to survive. You know, we were just trying to make money and not like go back to work. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. go back to work for somebody else. And at this stage, like by the time that happened, you were already over at pop. And so like yeah. Brent was over there. Cody was over there. Like all yeah. these people we knew were working for other people. And Ben and I were kind of holding out, you know, and yeah. uh, this felt like a way we could keep going and it just didn't work out. It's almost like the recession bred this, um, this certain type of uh, freelancer that freelanced from necessity because there was mm-hmm. there was nobody that was really ready to you know bring people on in 09 and 2010 and all that and so there was this this run where freelancers went and got good at stuff and then it seems like when the when the economy started to shape up and feel a little more stable that a lot of those people did kind of get gobbled up by yeah. businesses that were either growing or starting you know, starting to need those kinds of services yeah. that they hadn't needed 10 years ago, but there had been this farm system of freelancers that were crafting this, you know, yeah. kind of world. And if you got sick of, you know, worrying where, you know, if this was going to be a good month or a bad month, then you could go and provide your services to a company that needed them. That's such a terrible worry. <laughs> what? <laughs> that the, if it's going to be a good or a bad month, like yeah. that was the thing. I always, when I was younger, always, you know, kind of dreamed of working, you know, for myself or with a yeah. partner, you know, like having that freedom. Yeah. And then you get into it and you're like, you know, holy Lord, if I don't sell this, yep. if this one thing doesn't come through, you know, yeah. if this one thing doesn't happen the way I want it to, then we're in like legitimate, serious trouble. And, um, yeah, it's a hard part about bootstrapping it. Not a lot of yeah. fault tolerance. You There's know? not. Yeah. Yeah. And that was probably my biggest relief coming to at work was like the first month of that of like, you know, I was working very hard. I was doing more than I probably ever did at the village, to be honest. You yeah. know, like, cause I went into that with a big head of steam. I really wanted to prove a point at that stage. And, uh, but it's like, you, know, you get a few paychecks and you're like, holy shit, you know, I yeah. can, I can afford to go out to eat this weekend. What yeah. the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> You gave me uh, a knife that uh, your dad had made. I did give you that. As a gift. Mm-hmm. And still, I, I hope you in- intended for me to use it some, because I do use it sometimes. I absolutely intended, you for, or intended for you to use it. It's uh, 
dad didn't make it to sit around and not be used. He carried it. He um, would pry things open with it. He would do all kinds of things with it. You know, it's he, a shiv. It's a, an old flat bastard file of some sort that he definitely filed into a very pointy, sharp, abnormally sharp indeed shiv. Like yeah. it's, it, it'll it'll cut you. <laughs> but he but he also made the handle, right? He did. He. Um, so the handle's made out of uh, deer's antler, and he carved faces into it. But the faces are carved in such a way that as you turn it, like upside down, around, they change. Yeah. So like a face might be smiling at you in one way, and then if you flip it over, a face may it's be It's a different face frowning at you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he just sat around as a kid. I remember him doing that, like carving that. He carved that with a pocket knife, actually. He didn't do that with any kind of Dremel tool or any. How long do you think it took him to make? I don't really remember, man. I wish I did, but uh, a long time. I, the, the blade didn't take him long at all. He had his... Uh, he had his, I want to say it's his grandfather, my great-grandfather's uh, blacksmithing set. So he had like an anvil and all these neat tools and stuff. Um, apparently, that was something that was a thing. I've never had to sharpen it. I doubt you ever will. Yeah. <laughs> it's, one time, he, uh, I remember he'd come home from work, and you know we were going to go out in the lake, and I was really excited. you know. So I was running out to meet him at his truck, and it was a Saturday afternoon. You know, He'd get off work at like 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. And we had from, the he got home maybe 3.30 or something, and we had from that moment till the end of the day on Sunday to have fun, you know, that, yeah. that was it. And so, um, he got home and he was super pumped to go out in Lake two. And he's like, here, take, you know, help me take my stuff in. And, you know, I already had the boat ready and all this stuff out there. Like all you had to do was back into it. And he handed me that knife and it slid out of that holster and slit me down my fingers. Really? Like, it was like cut straight through. I was like, ah. Well, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no blunt side of it. It's sharp no, it's on both sides. It's just sharp everywhere. It's just yeah. a sharp, pointy beast. But he also made the uh, casing for it, right? He did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He made that out of, I don't remember where he got the leather, but um, yeah, just leather and thread. And an old milk jug inside that he somehow bent in such a way that it'll lock that blade in there. Yeah. There's a, the sheath it. is made out of an old milk jug it's on the so, inside. The it's leather, so it's pretty on the outside. It's pretty I mean, on the outside. On the inside, it's a, it's dirty, a milk jug. dirty, dirty skank. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> not. I keep that thing clean. But but Good that kind of, man, that was, you know, the probably the uh, uh, nicest example of gift giving that uh, anybody's ever done for me. And I appreciate it. And well, it kind of signifies this moment of where we had both kind of moved on to um, you know, to not working for ourselves anymore. Yeah. Well, we have families. To, well, I've been raising a family since I was an infant, but you know, <laughs> we, have, we have families to raise. And, and that was, that was a moment where we had both kind of moved into this phase of, you know, not only raising families, but taking work more seriously and taking the things we do a lot more seriously. You know, I, I, I like to downplay what I do a lot because I don't think that marketers are important people in the world. Um, well, because it's funny you think that because it's it's a it lot of people would so, think dis, disproportionately the other direction. That they're the most so important people. Soulless in the world. to me. It just really. Yeah, it always has. I, I've never felt incredibly proud of what I do. It's just something I can do. And but do you, do you think you feel that way because you just know how the sausage is made? Maybe. Yeah, maybe because I know how fake things can be, but. You know, I also know how genuine some of our messaging and stuff like that can be, you know, yeah. and especially at work, we're more about genuine messaging. Like, you know, uh, we're legitimately putting people to work and, you know, helping people change lives and stuff like yeah. that. So that's that's fun. But it's like, I don't know. I, you know, I look at people who are, you know, look at someone like your mom or even your dad, like in their lines of work. Or, um, you know, I have an uncle who's a My mom's a CRNA, my dad. Uh, nursing homes, assisted living facilities. Yeah. But operations. They, yeah. But they're, you know, 
I feel like anyway, they're at least leading places that are doing something that's somewhat meaningful. I'm writing copy and I'm, you know, yeah. doing these things. It, well, you're it not saving lives. We're I'm not. not. And, and that's, that's what. We're not give, curing cancer. Right. So at the end of the day, that does give, I think, all of us um, a little bit of a pass to not get too stressed out about stuff <laughs> and not be too worried about everything we do. Um, but I, I don't think that means that what we're doing is not important because I think it is important to keep the economic machine moving. It definitely does that. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're doing a hell of a job at that. Which is also necessary. Which is, it is. It's it not, is. it's not breathing, but it is next. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you're making a good point. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, and I don't necessarily mean to poo poo it too much. It's just like, I don't know. I, I don't like to take myself too seriously on those sorts of things. Like when you start talking about, work or your personal brand or these things like, you know, marketing yourself or marketing your company. It's like, I don't know. Like, I feel like people take that stuff really seriously and they maybe shouldn't take it as seriously. They should maybe take a breath there and relax some. Uh, yeah. But, you know, truth be told, it's a good way to make a living, you know, yeah. and I get to do a lot of cool things and I can't complain about my career choice because I've traveled all over. I've, Worked on a ton of cool projects over time, you know, yeah. of varying sorts. I've met more cool people than I can count. You know, I've yeah. gotten to see and do so many things. And so has my family. It's not just been me. It's like Lorena and the, you know, kids have kind of trailed along through all these things, too, and gotten to experience it along with me. And so, you know, that's that's been really cool. I, yeah. I dig that. So, I, you know, I just don't feel like it's like super important per se. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like to say I, there's no such thing as a marketing emergency, but yeah. maybe there could be a PR emergency. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? true. But I don't think there's marketing emergency. Yes. So like, I, I guess we've talked about it in bakeries, but like the transition is you and Ben left the village. He went and did his own thing. And then you took a job as the head of marketing for a, uh, uh, a national or international, just national. national yeah, we, national. we don't have any any international location. But it's yet. a corporate franchising, yep. Like a, or a a, a temporary um, staffing, yep. Right, yep. Which sounds so boring. <clears throat> yeah, because it but is to me. <laughs> to me, that would seem like a huge challenge as someone <clears throat> who Excuse is me. charged with building a brand. Is like, yes, it's boring. Okay, do we lean into that, mm -hmm. and do we just go with the 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 you know, boring approach to it no. or do we, or do we disrupt the space by, um, you know, by doing things that are different than what our, our competitors do. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not into boring. Staffing is a boring industry. And that was, it was funny when I interviewed there, uh, Jason, Jason Leverant, uh, my, my boss, our, uh, COO and really, you know, Hell of a guy to be leading that company. The energy that Jason brings, and, and franchise owners will say this. Our employees at corporate, I think, will say this. I don't think anyone would, you know, say Ben, you're you're lying or make fun of me for this in any way. But dude brings such energy to everything he does. Yes. Like it's it's incredible, and it, it makes other people have that same kind of like wow, you know, yeah, let's get excited about it. You know, yeah. look how excited Jason is about it. You know, you know, and so. Um, but he kind of handed you the reins to a company that had no brand identity at did, the time because did, they didn't yeah. have, a, they didn't market. They were, they were growing and they were too big to not have yep. someone in charge of marketing. That's exactly what happened. They, yeah. they grew to the point where it got to be critical mass and someone needed to control the brand because they had so many people across the country using it essentially, you know, yeah. and, and plus, you know, they wanted to grow more, you know, every company wants to, you know, they wanted to sell more franchises. They wanted to help the franchisees sell more 
services so that we can make more money overall, you know? And so, yeah, that, you know, that's, that's how I wound up there. And Jason told me first thing, he's like, this is a boring industry, man. You, we need to make this sexy. I don't, I don't know if you remember those conversations early in the days, like, how do you make staffing sexy? And we're, you know, what, four years into this now. And, uh, we're just now getting to the point where I think we're making stuff that kind of starts to accomplish that, where it makes it less, maybe not sexy, but less boring. It makes it more approachable and fun, you know, but, but it was a big journey getting there, man. Like I, I came into that after the village, you know, at the end of the village, I was so burned out from all the years of all the stuff, you know, just everything, you know, helping and, other people create their brands. Yeah. And, you know, just trying to hunt down the work all the time and, you know, you know, being self-employed and all that, I was just so tired. And it was like, but then, you know, the at work opportunity came up and I thought if I don't take this with the utmost seriousness and really go in and knock it, not only knock it out of the park, but like really crush it, like knock it out of the park, then go hunt it down and do it again to show off, you know, sort of yeah. thing. If I don't do that, then I'm going to feel like a failure to myself. Like I, I really, I really did. I felt like I'd fail myself if I didn't do big things it's there. It's the chip on your shoulder again. Isn't yeah, it? it is because, you know, people look down on you in your life. And so I thought I'm going to go knock it out of the park. And it's funny because, uh, you know, I went in there. I remember I had a two days that I worked and then I had a vacation that came back and kind of formally started. Yeah. But those two days are supposed to be these kind of get my email settled and fix my desk up. Yeah. Just relax, whatever. And, uh, I came in on the Thursday and that's kind of like what it was, you know, like Thursday kind of got settled or whatever. And I was very intense at that time. So it wasn't really relaxing. It was more like setting plans and getting all my shit together. And then Friday I thought, well, you know, man, I start vacation tomorrow. Um, my birthday's coming up this week. This is going to be such a great week, new job, new opportunities. I'm just going to like, Today's going to be a chill day at work. I'm not going to get too intense. And we had this staff meeting first thing in the morning. And I go in there and everyone settles in. And immediately Jason starts to pepper me with questions and give me like this giant to-do list. And like I could just feel my blood pressure rising from my toes to my ears. It's really? like, oh, my God. This is going to be a lot harder than I thought. Really? <laughs> yeah. There was so much to do in the beginning. Uh, I mean, when you start talking about having offices literally from California to Maine, Miami to Seattle, you know, using the same brand, but all differently. Yeah. It's just a mess. So you had to somehow create some cohesion. Mm -hmm. And that probably dawned on you that day when you're sitting in that meeting. It sure did in a big, big, big way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to go go celebrate my birthday. Oh, no, I got a real job. Oh, I messed up. Oh, I should... Can I still quit? <laughs> no, it was, it, it was a lot. And I remember feeling really intimidated by it and, you know, even a little panicky through that yeah. week of vacation, like, oh man, this is going to be a lot. But, yeah. but then I came back and, you know, just, I picked the biggest things first, you know, the brand needed to be re remade, you know, retooled a bit. And then the web was the next. And then, you know, we had to start digging into some promotional material. Yeah, I mean, I just made this logical list, right? You yeah. Know, I just, you 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 attacked the most imminent needs first. If you buy a house that needs some renovations, yeah. you look at the start stuff. With, I'd start with the roof, probably yeah. make sure it doesn't get rained right. on. Yeah, exactly. You start with the very obvious, very big things first, and that's what I did here. And yeah. and um, Jason was super supportive. Um, they let you play too. They let you go. Yeah, they trust you. They they do now to a 
maybe a, a fault. Fault. <laughs> they probably should stop fucking trusting <laughs> my opinions and stuff because I just keep getting weirder and weirder. Now it's like, oh, you're gonna let me play? I'll play. I got but, a personality. You know? But that to me is something that sets brands apart is bravery and like people who do fastball down the middle work. Like that's cool. It plays. It works. I guess. But anybody can do it. Yeah. So let's turn this thing on its ear and do something a little different. Well, that's that's what we're certainly doing now. And that's what we've been building towards now. I feel I feel like it's uh, we've we've been, uh, you know, like a performance that's been building over four years. Like we're slowly but steadily building this momentum and building this identity as a group of people, you know, not yeah. only as a national company, but even as the corporate group. Like we've kind of got this identity now. The owners. I feel like I feel like now because we communicate more with them and that's a direct result of me and the team, you yeah. know, of people being there, you know, like I feel like I know more of who we are now. And yeah, the like, culture parts rounded yeah, out a little bit. It's starting to. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And that's so important. I mean, if you're going to work in a big company like that, you're, you know, like at work is, and it is a, a big company when it comes down to it, like if you're going to do that, that's an important thing to keep. And we're at a point now where we can either keep it or we can ruin it. And I think we're keeping it in large part by, you know, like, for example, so, you know, we didn't get to do our conference last year. Which is of, the big, the big trade show deal that you guys the put The big on. party, man. It's yeah. a, it's a party with content is what I call it, you know, yeah. because we bring the owners in and from and, all over the country, all over the country, hundreds yeah. of people come and, for two and a half days of content and like, you know, we do an awards ceremony one night and then one night's just kind of a free for all, like, let's just get down and dance and listen yeah. to music sort of thing. And it's so important for that camaraderie, not only between the corporate team and those owners, but those owners amongst each other, like mm. they all just really, you know, come together at those things. And so we weren't able to do it last year and that was a, you know, a real bummer. And, um, but this year, you know, like, kind of show how far we've come. Like we're, we're doing this thing now. Like, you know, we still have to give out awards. Like people still hit sales goals in 2020. Like people still hit the chairman's club, right? You know, people people want to be recognized. They do. And so we're going to do, I came up with this idea to do this award ceremony, ceremony, like the Oscars. Right. So like, um, Paige and Brody, you know, the video team are going to film it and we're going to do this like red carpet treatment. Like we're really going to ham it up. Like it's going to be as much like the Oscars as we can make it to give out these awards to our people to, just make us all feel one again, you yeah. know, um, theme it out. Theme. Yeah. It's going to be fun. You yeah. know, it is. And that's the sort of stuff that before I started there, they would have never thought of doing. And I think if they were as big as they are, you know, now, if I work was that company back then, I don't think it would have been as, I don't think the glue would have been right. You know what I yeah. mean? Like there wasn't enough uh, camaraderie there then, but it's, it's grown so much since. And, uh, and all the corporate team does a real good job at leading that. I think, you know, well, they're I, good at it. I think back to your point about thinking that marketing is not like, doesn't move the needle, not important. Like, I think that is a reason. Another example of why it is important is because it not only helps you guys facilitate business on a daily basis, but it also has helped glue the whole brand together. That's nationwide. you like you said, you have, uh, people that own your franchises that live all over the country, but you brand it all, you put it all together and now they feel like they're behind something or feel like they're supported too. That's a real fair point. Um, you know what, what becomes challenging is uh, proving the ROI of that to people. Yeah. ROI know. is so hard <laughs> to prove in, in, um, in why, marketing. Why are, we, why are we still talking about that though? In marketing, because it's like, 
Well, because broadcast has always been the thing, right? So you don't know how many people watch. You kind of do from Nielsen, but you don't really know how many people saw your commercial and clicked on something because of it. But with the way that the way that marketing has gone, this gone in the last five, 10 years where you can actually quantify where eyeballs are and you can quantify click through rates and all this stuff. But we're focusing too much on that. We, yeah. we can't focus wholly on the shit we can track because I you can cannot you, track a Super Bowl commercial. You don't know how many people saw that you don't, Pepsi ad and then went and bought a Pepsi. Precise, you, I mean, you can look at it, see a spike or whatever, but really what you're doing is you're digging your brand into people's brain exactly. and that and that's yeah. the that's the important part but you can't measure roi on it you can't measure your return on investment so people don't you just do have to it. commit you yeah. just have to commit small companies admittedly you know small businesses there's a there's a point where you just can't commit to uh, you know that sort of brand awareness stuff it doesn't bring you enough back um, but when you're a company of our size and you're national in scope you have to start to commit to that stuff on a certain mm -hmm. level otherwise you're just going to get left behind and maybe you're not measuring it in clicks or this is, or that's, you know, but um, you know, you're measuring it uh, in the fact that, you know, your, your brand is becoming a part of a community. You know, mm. your brand is becoming yeah. a part of people's conversations and you, you can't see and you know, you don't see into everybody's personal lives. You don't know what everyone's talking about, but, the more you put yourself into those, you know, arenas, the the more you focus on just building general awareness. I think the more you you really do yourself a lot of favors. Mm -hmm. You don't see it necessarily in the bo bottom line straight away. You know, you can't track it. But yeah, that's I why can. people don't do it, it because it, because they don't they cannot turn around and point to those dollars and say I spent X number of dollars, spent a hundred thousand dollars on marketing yep. this year, and I got a hundred thousand dollars back from it. And so. You know, binary minded people aren't aren't gonna aren't gonna go for that. But you know, you look at the brands that impact your life, the brands that truly impact your life. Um, you know, in whatever sector, be it technology, you know, Google, Facebook, whatever, uh, beverages, Coca Cola, Budweiser, blah blah blah. Yeah, more of the consumer face stuff. Exactly. They're they're all you know putting themselves out there in a gigantic way to keep the conversation going around themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, and you can't just do that with these targeted. Digital ads, you know, I mean, it's just not a thing. Like, right. we can scoff all we want at broadcast and all that stuff, and, you know, it, you can't necessarily see any ROI from it. But I've had, you know, dozens of people since we've launched the broadcast versions of the commercials we worked on together come up to me and say, oh, I've seen it. I've seen it. You know, people are people notice that sort of That's stuff. That's a deep it, impact. It That's is a, a deep, deep impression. Yeah. So a click through is kind of like a small micro I'm sort of interested. Yeah. 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 But if you see a commercial two or three times, I mean, you know, you, I, I modeled so much of what we do now off the insurance industry. How closely associated are you with the caveman ads from Geico or the woodchuck ads or right. flow from progressive? You know, the insurance industry got that right. Mayhem. They took something mayhem. Exactly. He's an awesome one. You know, they took something so boring, insurance. We all have to have it, mm -hmm. but gah, you know, who cares? You know, yeah. just yeah. let me sign and pay. Yeah. And they made it fun to and, talk about. But now everybody does it. Everybody talks about it's it. Whatever, it's what every yep. brand that's doing boring shit on a national level is doing. And watch us in five, 
six years and watch every other staffing company, even the big ones right now yeah. that are way bigger than us, watch them start to try to copy what we're yeah. up to right now because we're taking something that's not exciting. You know, you're putting people to work. It's great. It's a great thing. You yeah. know, you you fill a business's need by giving them workers. That's an awesome combination to make. Actually, my first job at Train that I mentioned earlier was through a temp company at first. Really? I was a temp to hire guy. Yeah. I don't remember the temp agency now. That's kind of full circle. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It's the only experience I ever had with one before at work. Really? Yeah. I've never been in a temp agency before or since other than, you know, at work office visits mm-hmm. and stuff. But, um, and that's just by, you know, how my life went. That's yeah, yeah. nothing good or bad. But, um, so, you know, we took something so boring, you know, you're putting people to work, but that's not exciting stuff. And now we're making it fun. We're showing the fun side of it though, with mm-hmm. some of the stuff we're doing now. And, you know, trying to show these exciting moments or these giggly moments or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think Highlighting that's a, what a bad interview looks like. That was a fun thing to do. We've, yeah. Yeah. we've, uh, we've had a lot of fun showing that us and the old, um, pop fizz crew lately. That's, or showing what a bad job's like. I've enjoyed that one that, yeah. this week. That was a real fun. But that's time. a, that's a good way to go. Not, not like, Hey, we can put you to work, sir. Like, you're, yeah. yeah, go in here and get a job. It's more like, Hey, you remember this bad interview or, mm-hmm. you know, or this bad work environment where you went in to get a job and everybody was missing a hand because it was a dangerous environment? The chomper. Uh, <laughs> I can say it here. I can't say it. Here. The chomper. Um, so, uh, yeah, for, for real, though, like, you know, we're showing people that, you know, finding a good job is hard and we can maybe help you find one a little bit easier. Yeah. Your, but I think the, the way that you're going about telling the story is the part that's, yeah. that is outside of the box thinking. And it's the part that nobody else is doing. And like, even though it is somewhat of, a, you know, an esoteric sector or like a sector that nobody really thinks of, you're still punching in a very heavy way in that space. And positioning yourself and maybe even posturing yourselves as a thought leader or as a leader in at least the from the from the marketing side well it's funny like we um it's funny you say that because i feel like personally you know from a purely industry perspective and what's going on in this industry, where's it going, you know, how to understand where it's being, all that stuff. Jason is certainly a thought leader there. Like that's his bag. That's he, the CEO of your company. Yeah. Jason. He, so he's a, he's a nerd for the industry, he, right? Yeah, he really is. And but, he's an industry darling too, man. He's really? been a 40 under 40, a bunch of times. He's like in a the lifelong industry hall of fame member. Papers. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's the dude. Yeah. But he was the guy leading the marketing charge before. And now he can focus on that that yeah. kind of thing, and then sector off, or silo off that the marketing side into a, a side of the company that or into part of the company that he doesn't even have to think about. So exactly, and that's so it's funny because we we just hired this guy um, in the last week or two uh, from one of our largest our largest franchise competitor to you know, like the the biggest company that's like like and I won't mention names or anything, yeah. but. The, the biggest one that's like us Like a competitor there. of yours. Yeah. The, or like a big three kind of well, industry. Well, it's a staffing franchise, yeah. and it's the largest one around, you know, ah, essentially. Okay. So, like, it's a very big version of us. So, these, you know, they're they're a multi-billion dollar company, mm-hmm. you know, whereas we're, you know, many hundreds of millions, but not in the billions yet. And uh, so, this company, we haven't hired this guy away, and he comes over, and, you know, I'm talking with him yesterday. And uh, immediately, you know, we start kind of talking about how at work is already posturing itself as being bigger than Express and better because we're we're just taking these like 
they've got the ability to make all these nuts and bolts things. They can make a million training videos and all these mm-hmm. things. But like, we're going out there and just blatantly throwing, you know, commercials out saying we're better than you. Look at how fun and approachable and yeah. uh, cool and modern we are. Mm-hmm. We're so much better than you. Kiss our ass, you know, and <laughs> we're going for it. Yeah. And I think you got to do that. You know, you throw a small person in the ring with a big person. They got to punch up. They got to swing wild for a minute, you know, and see what they can land. And and that's what we're doing with the stuff we're doing now. We're trying to change the way the industry thinks because no one in our industry has done anything even remotely close. Frankly, they've not even gone to the level of branding or even web design we've gone to. You know, mm. if you if you look, and this is nerdy, but if you look into the nuts and bolts of how our website works and how the user flow works and all that stuff, like, I've invested hundreds of hours of thought into lines, experience, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I want to the I want, user experience. I want things. That's to, why Amazon's so big. Exactly. You got to think about it. They yeah. psychotically thought about the user's experience. You got to think every single click through, and I've done that a billion times. And so, yeah. you know, I, that's a great experience. And then you go into you know how we're kind of posturing ourselves with these videos lately. Of we're laughing at our industry. You know, we're laughing at the human experience. You know. Mm-hmm. If you're uh, an interviewer or a human resources, you know, person or whatever, and you're interviewing people, you get some real pieces of work in there. You know, yeah. some people who are out there a bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to put anybody down, but they're maybe different. And that's kind of what we poked at with our first series. And this kind of more candidate facing one. You know, sometimes you show up for a job that's just shit, you know, yeah. and you don't know it till you get there and you just got to live with it. And so we're trying to tell people in the most fun way we can that, Hey, we can help you either way. You know, we're I just right got here. an idea for a good, uh, bad interview. So a guy walks into the interview holding a, a cup of urine and says, sorry, I went to Colorado last month <laughs> <laughs> and hands it to the HR person. What do you think? Um, <laughs> we can't run it in Colorado. Uh, <laughs> that's, we're definitely done in Colorado. Actually, California, we're probably out. Uh, <laughs> Fortunately for us, there's a growing segment of the United States of America that's more comfortable with, <laughs> with such things. With such things, but uh, that's actually pretty good. We we get a lot of funny stories from the owners. Oh, like some of the stuff they see. Some like, of the stuff I read through that you sent me that people hear when they're interviewing a client is or interviewing a prospective employee is some of the funniest stuff I've ever read. In my people life. show up for like I think it was Uni uh, Patel had a. Um, a person show up for an interview without a shirt on, like really? a Zoom interview. Like they just sat down without their shirt, like actually did that. Like yeah. you think that's the stuff like, you read about on the internet, but no. no. Like, no. hey, I'm here to work. What's oh, up? What's up, guys? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Check out my pecs. Are you on Tinder? <laughs> <laughs> Check these guns out. Dude, what else we got? Um, You want to talk about your woodworking stuff? Because that's pretty cool. I do woodworking. I uh, make charcuterie. Yeah. Boards, right? Well, or, pl- or the planks. actual meat. No, no, no. I try to not touch meat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I um, I do. I make charcuterie boards. Uh, they're neat little boards, usually uh, made out of walnut. But I bought a lot of other fancy woods recently. I haven't gotten to work on it as much as I uh, like to. But do you I plane do enjoy it down? It. You plane them down? And I then- do. So, well, I don't know. It depends on the piece of wood I get. So, like. Uh, the dudes over at Smoky Mountain Vintage Lumber. I don't yeah. know if you've ever been over there, over by Mid Mod Collective. I've heard of them. I bought a Christmas tree from there one year. Super nice dudes. Yeah. Super nice dudes. And, you know, they always have just, I mean, it's vintage lumber. You never know what you're going to get there, you know, yeah. and that's what's cool about it. Like, I found a bunch of really good board stock. I found a few good shelves over there over time. And, um, you know, it's, 
it's just kind of fun to like kind of dive in. Like sometimes you can't even tell what you're looking at because the wood's so oxidized or whatever. You kind of scratch it around on with your knife. You're like, oh shit, this piece of walnut or whatever. Yeah, there's something under there. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. And so one, you make these like cutting board type deals, yeah. but with with like thumb holes in them and stuff, so you can hold them like Bob Ross uh, palette deal. <laughs> yeah, like I basically make Bob Ross palettes for meats. Um, I like that. It's uh, it's fun. You know, it's a it's a very soothing thing to work with wood because you. Uh, you know, everything's different, you know, every board's different. Every piece of it is a little bit different. And so you have to, you know, if you want to make a charcuterie board or whatever it is you're making out of it, like you got to approach it slightly differently every time. And it's kind of been fun to just acquire all the dad tools and like learn how to use stuff like that. Because I didn't have that stuff as a kid, you know, or growing up or, you know, as a young man. And so like now, you know, Lorena bought me a router for Christmas. She bought me this really nice router. And, Get the edges down nice. Son of a bee. Like the first time I used that thing, I thought, I'm bad at this. I, this is not how this works. Yeah. But I didn't like. That's crooked. I didn't look at a video or anything of how a router worked. I just yeah. thought I'd, you know, see if I could like round over the edge of a board. And turns yeah. out I didn't do it well. But now I'm pretty good with it. <laughs> you know, so I get all these cool dad tools and, um, and it's, again, it's just time downstairs in the shop kind of chilling out. And, uh, you've got a shop too. Yes, I do. I do have a shop. Mine is downstairs. I can't. Uh, yeah, mine's detached. Be as, be as loud as you probably could be in here. You could probably throw a rave in here. And mine, if you open a beer, someone's going to be like, "Hey, hey, you down there with a the beer? What are you doing?" Nothing. Do you sell them or do you just give them away? Keep just them. Give things away, man. I don't yeah. like to sell things. I, I'm, I'm a very uh, self-deprecating person. I don't think that what I make is good enough to sell. So I, I don't like. To, I tried to sell one one time and it fell flat. And I was like, man, fuck it. I'll never try that twice. So you like playing? You find this wood stock in, or stocks of of like chunks of wood, mm-hmm. playing it down to a flat piece, filling any holes with resin, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that sometimes if they have holes. And then, um, yeah, just uh, round off all the edges, make everything nice and smooth. I and like then smooth lines, it. yeah. And I just finish it with like um, mineral uh, mineral spirits at first and then um, like this kind of uh, beeswax mixture in the end. It cures in. Moisture, yeah. You got to re-add it every so often, but it, it works pretty well. Um, They're beautiful. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I um, I just I like wood grain. You know, it looks cool. Like, yeah. and everything again, everything's different. Every single piece of it's always a little different, and so yeah. that's fun. I think to pick something up and not know where it's going. And I've messed up so much stuff. I probably pissed away so much money on fancy wood stocks from Jeffrey's Woodworks in South yeah. Knoxville. Shout out to Jeffrey's Woodworks in South Knoxville. Love it. <laughs> I have though. I've, I've pissed away so much money. Like I'll go buy something really fancy and I'll think I know what I'm doing and I'll get it home and totally fuck it up and yeah. be like, ah, <laughs> shit. <laughs> well, try it again next week. That didn't work. <laughs> that didn't work. Yeah. But you know, I don't know. I'm not the type of dude. I don't like to like, I don't watch YouTube. Like that's not a thing of mine, even though I yeah. market on it every single day. Like I don't actually watch it. Yeah. It's a big thing that you engage with from a, business standpoint like that's where so much of your content goes right yeah my personal life i I don't watch it at all yeah Yeah. i don't watch it at all my personal life like the only things i ever watch like you know maybe if i'm working on a car so i need this very specific thing but it's like how to change an oil pan right you know some silly thing like that i don't ever though go looking for um like a channel to watch or something like some kind of content like i just i I can't do that and so so i'm saying all that to say like you know when i'm learning woodworking i'm learning it totally blind i'm self-taught autodidact just i i feel like this tool might do this thing 
oh, it doesn't. Cool, 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 yeah. cool. <laughs> Got, it. <laughs> Got it for next time. Yeah, I definitely learned. Yeah. But it is fun. It is a lot of fun to do. I love you, man. I'm so glad you're here. You're like a member of my family. Well, I like to think I'm an honorary fields boy because I know where your brother throws up every single time. <laughs> he's, he's not here to defend right himself. Now, I promise he's you. not here to defend himself. I'm not going to poke fun at him. Well, I, love I hope you, he's Amos. having a good Monday morning. <laughs> you know, Amos takes his work seriously, though. Amos is serious, nine to five dude. And then, you know, he goes out on a paddle trip in the evening and he has a couple beers. And that's OK. I love him. He's a boss, man. He uh, he really is. I'm 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 super proud of my brother, man. He uh, he kills it. I'm very proud of your brother, and he, I feel like you're the third brother in well, the family. I, I float around, you know. I just uh, your parents at least accept me, you know. That's the important thing. I don't really have them, so I have somebody around's cool. So um, your dad in particular checks in on me a lot, which is nice. Um, you know he. It's funny he remembers birthdays. I guess he was a dad at one point. You know, he remembers that sort of thing. Sends so, you a text on your birthday. Yeah, he does. So I try to remember his too because I feel kind of obligated now. I'm like, yeah. shit. Well, it's you know? your parents but it's easy. An- yeah, it's your parents' anniversary. It's, it's fucking easy to remember. Yeah. yeah. But no. He's a stoic dude that you wouldn't know is so, um, uh, I don't know, sensitive and caring, you know, because he's just kind of kind of you can't tell the first time i met your dad i wouldn't have thought him that dude at all the second time i met your dad i wouldn't have thought him that dude the third time i met your dad i loved your dad and he's he's been a cool dude in my book every single day every single day since he's just he's awesome um yeah and you know he is he he's a very caring guy like yeah he there's there's comments he's made over time, you know, where you can tell like he he thinks about things and he cares about them. Yeah. Like he he doesn't just care about things on the surface where he's like, oh, how you doing? You know, your work's good. You're yeah. this. You're that. Like he dives in a little bit deeper. Like, well, you know, how's your family? How's your personal yeah. life? This and that. Like it, he, he it, cares. It, he's one of those kind of kinds of people who doesn't mess around with you know, uh, just kind of bullshit formalities of conversation right he does you know it's not hey how are you buddy good no, to see you you no. all right he's good straight to see into you. the good stuff yeah. like yeah how are yeah. you you know like really like it, it's funny because and this is probably not podcast stuff but it, you know we were over uh for uh amos and tasha's thing in hot springs yeah, my back brother in the fall. and his wife yeah and um he uh you know, I stood there and I talked to your mom and dad for a few minutes and I don't really remember much of the conversation or not, but afterwards I had uh, spoken with your dad. I don't remember where we were now. We were, we were chatting and he said, yeah, you know, Ginger said, Hubbard didn't seem the same, you know? And he's like, well, you know, if you go through, you know, nearly getting <laughs> murdered or whatever by a brother-in-law, you probably won't be the same either. You know, like you oh, gotta that, tell her that, story. that story. And uh, what was that? You know, you're, you're, what happened? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You had a near near death experience with a family member? Well, when you come from Appalachia, meth heads try to kill you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is that it? They don't like it when you're different or not on meth or whatever, but And it and it and my mom could tell a difference in your personality from from Yeah, your like, mom could. From yeah. the experience. Your mom well, I, Dude, I guess it was a different that people day. whisperer. Apparently. Mom, she's like, the most empathetic person that can just look at me and be like Hey, man. <laughs> What's up? What's going on? What's up, buddy? How are you? Yeah, I agree. Your mom is that person. Like, she, she's a very empathetic, very loving, kind, giving person. And apparently she noticed something off and mentioned it to your dad. And he was like, well, if this, and she's like, 
Well, shit. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, it just, it, it's what it told me, though, was like your dad cared, you know, like he, he was aware and yeah. he cared that there was something that, you know, he, he knew something was off and why it was off. And, you mm-hmm. know, he, he cared enough to not just be like, well, yeah, he's just a dick or, you know, yeah. Yeah, whatever, you know, he's, that's a big deal. I think that speaks a lot to your dad's uh, character. Yeah. And the character of your whole family, really. Sure. And I think it's empathy. And like, I, I appreciate them. Um, I think kind of projecting that on mm-hmm. us growing up, you know, empathy, not hiding stuff from us, letting us feel stuff, yep. letting us see them feel stuff. It's and important. I, I think it's important. And I'm going to do the same, you, you know, have to. For, yeah. For my for my kids and in, in in any situation, it's okay to be empathetic. It's okay to feel things. It's very okay. It's very okay. And I've you know, admittedly, I think I've had a tough time with that. Um, when Jolene was small, like I was your first was, daughter, who's twenty two. Twenty two. Yeah, my first kiddo. Yeah, I was so driven, you know, because we had to make something of ourselves because yeah. we were so young, and you know, all all the stuff we've already talked about. You know, we were. It was just. I felt so intense about getting somewhere and doing mm. something that I projected so much of that on her that now Jolene's fucking intense. Like really? she's a lot when she gets onto something, she's on it and it will happen. She's okay to, to let people know how she's feeling. Um, she'll let you know how she's feeling a pretty fast and efficient and well, that's someone, the half Mexican. That's, someone that's call the- it cruel way. <laughs> She can be brutal. Jolene can be very brutal, but that's what we taught her to be. You know, like we taught her to fucking not take a prisoner ever because that was where we were in our life. You know, like we yeah. were, we were young and people were pushing us around a bit and we had to be really, you know, mean back at times, not mean, you know, but just like mean in the sense of like aggressive, like we got to, if people push us around, we got to push back twice as hard. You know, if people think we can't do this, then we've got to do 10 times more than whatever it was, you know? And Jolene grew up with that. Like she grew up with this mentality of, you know, enough's not enough. And I'm going to do even more than that. And then show off a bit more and do this, you know, take and a that, victory lap. Yeah, exactly. That's just yeah. who she is. And yeah. so sounds a little bit like her dad. Yeah, maybe um, prove him wrong and let him know about it. Yeah, exactly. It's like that Muhammad Ali photo where he's like, yeah, we're standing up. over him. Get up, get up, get try up. it one more time. Yeah. Get up. Get Come up. on, let's do it one more time for the show, you know, for the cameras. But Jolene definitely picked that up from, from us. And uh, she, um, exhibits it to this very day she's incredibly intense and she's going to go very far in her career and you know she's had some some influences you know uh the the journalist influences in this town you know she wouldn't have been a journalist i don't think and we not moved to knoxville really because of Kevin Martin and Saul Young and that like Knox, that Knox crowd, yeah. Sentinel, Knox yeah. New Sentinel crowd. Well, not even all necessarily New Sentinel crowd, but a lot of them, you know, you, Kevin Martin, definitely a big one. Um, yeah. And Saul, definitely a big one. Sean yeah. Pointer. Amy. Amy Smotherman Burgess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course. I I would say Amy's probably more her mentor than anyone else. Really? Because, and maybe it's because it's female to female. I don't know, but yeah. she can just approach Amy very. And Amy was a neighbor of ours for a long time as well in Island Home. And so, you know, it's just easy to approach her for sure. Joe. And so, um, but yeah, that entire uh, kind of journalistic scene from the new Sentinel when they were kind of losing their journalists, you know? Well, like, yeah, because of, because their print outfit and they were late to adapt to yeah. the firewall. Look what, the, yeah. look what happens, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so you get good journalists going 
away. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, at least all the people I know from there, Saul's still actually there. I ran into him. Saul's going to die there, man. I love it. That's Saul he's, Young's he's things. Like, he needs a statue. Shout out to not, Saul Young. I got to talk to him. <laughs> he's such a good dude. Yeah. You should have Saul over here, man. Saul would be fun because Saul's actually fun to talk to for anyone on earth. Like we were at a 4th of July thing over at uh, Mabry Hazen House. Yeah. Um, and Saul was there shooting it for the paper. It was the first time we'd seen him in, in ages. And it's the first time he'd seen uh, Johnny since uh, they were really small, probably. And so it was just like one of those kind of family reunion things. It's like, mm-hmm. man, you know, that's this is family. I, I'm I'm so happy you're still here. Like because he's really, you know, Amy's still here. Amy's mother member just still here. Mm-hmm. She works for the zoo now. Like pretty much, and Sean's around, but I don't really see him so much because he's so busy with Sean the, Pointer. So, yeah, with the Central Collective and all that. But uh, you know, it's so good to have those influences in Jolene's life when she was young, and I I don't think those people realize. What they did for her, you know, like yeah, they formed a kid who they they, they helped in inform a kid, yeah, who who's gonna you know take that along with other experiences that she has. But look at her; she's making a career in journalism because of the people that you hung out with and exposed her to. They helped Marina and I raise our kid. They helped these teenage parents kick her over the last line. You know, when mm-hmm. she when she walked over the thing in you know Western at Western and Bowling Green there, like. Senior, when she graduated, yeah. yeah, Like, I thought of every single one of those people, like, even you and, like, Ben and the uh, Adams and, you know, all the other people through these years. Because really, like, if we look at the Somerset years for Jolene and John, um, you know, they were small childhood years. But when they came here, they started to really thrive. You know, they started getting to this art scene, you know, that was budding back when we Mm -hmm. were small, I feel like, anyway. Which is, it seems like a better fit for your kids than a small town in Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. Seemingly. Better fit for the whole family. It was a very smart move for us to do that. Those are artsy folks. Both your kids are interested in it. They are. And they're somewhat, I mean... um, they don't want to be in a house all day. They yeah. or, or don't want to be hanging out with the same group of people all the time. Everybody wants to get out and make stuff. Yeah, they do things know, as a group. Both call it ki- extroverted. Exactly. Yeah. Both of my kids make stuff all day, every day, mm-hmm. and I like that. You know, yeah. because uh, just like their old man, <laughs> we we do things. You know, um, I'm I'm very proud of my my kiddos. I think you should they, be man. They've done a really good job in their lives so far. Um, and they're going to do a fantastic job later on. And I look forward to down the road one of these days when, uh, you know, they're all adults and we can kind of look back on these Knoxville years. Cause again, I don't think I'll be in Knoxville for forever. I hope I'm not in Knoxville right. for forever. I don't, I like it here, but I don't love it. And yeah. I love the people here. And there's a lot of people that will always be my people here, mm. you know? Um, but you know, Appalachian kid growing up in Nowheresville, Kentucky, dreams of going out to California or the West, you know, not California, yeah. California, just to be generic, but you know, the West, uh, somewhere, you know, you'd like live. Utah. Why? Because of the polygamy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> no, cool, I, man. I, cool, cool, cool. Multiple chicks, man. Uh, dig it, dig it. <laughs> Lorena will be down. Don't worry. She likes chicks, too. <laughs> she, I'm glad we did this, man. Thank I fucked you. up your podcast. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. I'm the most boring guest you've ever had on this thing. Uh, not true. Not true at all. Uh, I don't know. Well, I don't know. It, it, it's cool that I've been able to talk to you and, you know, get to know new things about you <laughs> because we put a different 
a, a different framework around our conversation. What have you learned about me? You've learned nothing about me. You knew everything about me. You were not true. I didn't know about Judy. Oh, old dad's yeah. Uh, yeah. the wicked bitch of the West is what he actually called her yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah, Every time he saw a broom, he was like, "Is that my ex-wife?" Is that my ride? ex-wife's ride? <laughs> he did yeah. actually. Yeah. I think your dad might have taught him that joke. Yeah, <laughs> somebody did. Well, they sure looked like one another. That's gross. <laughs> Thanks for being here. I love you, man. I love you. I'm so happy to be here. This has been fun. I like doing podcasts. Well, you have now officially contributed to more podcasts than you have listened to. Love you, man. Love you. This has been fun. It has been. This has been fun. All right, guys. Is it good for you? Love me some Ben Hubbard. Thanks for being here, guys. Take care. Check out our Instagram at southofscruffy.com. Check out our Patreon if you want to get involved and support the podcast. We appreciate that a lot. It's patreon.com slash southofscruffy. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Talk to you guys real soon. Pitchwire. Play me out. <laughs>